the movie Running Scared, 1986, Michael McDonald's Sweet Freedom. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This week, flying solo without a co-host. That's the way it goes. Sometimes we have someone joining me in the co-host chair. Sometimes I'm all by myself. Anyway, we have a full agenda tonight, as we usually do. A lot of stuff to get to, but as usual, I have to give you the introduction that we have to do every week so new listeners can understand what's going on here. First of all, we have a free roll tonight. This radio show has a free roll associated with it that we run every week, pretty much, and it's real cash money. I will pay you by PayPal, bank transfer, Bitcoin, check, even cash in an envelope if you win this free roll. If you win any of the prizes in the free roll, you'll get real cash. The only requirement to win the money is you have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum in good standing dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you do not have a Poker Fraud Alert forum account dated June 1st, 2013 or before, email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me how long you've been listening as long as you've been listening for three weeks or more, and you can convince me of that by telling me things that are not in the official show description over the last th- three weeks, I will give you a one-time and lifetime exemption to win the free money. But you have to do this before the free roll starts, which is at 7.40 p.m. Pacific time. It takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, but... It is free, and you don't even need play chips to enter the free roll, which again starts at 7.40, 25-minute late registration. It is No Limit Hold'em. The prizes tonight, $28 for first place, $15 for second, $7 for third. I am not the one giving out this money, this $50. It did not come from me. It comes from our users. This week, it came from Danny Deadwood, $25. Dr. Peters gave $15, split this for the second week in a row, gave $7, and handicapped me, wanting the free roll to be $50 and not $47, gave $3 to even it out at $50, so thank you to him. So again, this takes place in about an hour. Get registered, get on there, and uh, good luck to those who choose to play. Maybe next week we'll have a different game. Usually it's No Limit Hold'em as it is this week, but sometimes I'll put a different game up there. If you want to call into the show, the phone numbers are 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas. It's about 45 minutes away by car. It gets snow during the winter. Seriously, if you're in Las Vegas during the winter, you can drive to Mount Charleston and you will see snow in the Las Vegas area. In the summer, you can go there. And it'll be like 70 degrees when the rest of Vegas is like 110 degrees. It's pretty amazing. It looks nothing like the Vegas you know. I promise you that. But I have an old 70s rotary telephone up there at Mount Charleston, which forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. No matter which number you call, you have to show your caller ID or the show will not let you through. It will give you a busy signal if you don't show your caller ID. If you call and I don't answer, don't panic. Just try back in about 15 minutes, 
and uh, I'll probably take your call at that point. It just means I'm in the middle of talking about something and don't feel like taking phone calls. Or you might just want to wait till I say I'm taking phone calls, then you can always call in at that point. If you want to text me during the show, you can do it. In fact, you can text me anytime, before, during, or after the show. I really do read all the texts I get. I do respond to the texts I get if a response is necessary or if you know, you're starting a conversation. So you want to talk to me about anything, you can. That phone number is the same as the main phone number for the show, 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355 to text the show. You can also go into the chat room if you're listening live, and you can chat with other listeners to the show. And you can also even chat with me, but to be honest, when I'm doing the show by myself, I can't really read the chat room very much, and I definitely can't type in there very much. So it's more for listeners to interact. Some people like PMing me in there, but really the better way to get a hold of me during the show is to text me at 775-372-8355. I will read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to. Uh, here are some texts we got since the last week's show. Again, since we get show get texts from uh, people all throughout the week, I will read them. Raw Wolf really wants to talk about gold and silver. We had him on here before. I don't know why he always wants to talk, talk about gold and silver. It has nothing to do with his show. I mean, I gave him the form for this once, but it just you know, it has nothing to do with the show, this gold and silver stuff. Uh, I guess the 941 area could texted me something, but it seems... From what I can tell, something he doesn't want me reading, so I won't read it. Now, I bet you're really curious. Uh, 704 texted me, Michael Borovitz still at it. Sad. Yeah, Michael Borovitz, who we had on this show, the admitted airport scammer, who is uh, also a poker player. In fact, he was scamming for both buy-ins to poker and Pygao. Uh He swore on this show that he's not going to do it again, but he's done it again. We'll talk about that tonight. 760 texted me, just started playing backgammon. Any suggestions or books? Do I look like a backgammon player? Maybe I do, but I'm not one. I've never played backgammon. Can't give you any suggestions. I'm sorry. Uh, 734 area code. Solid show, Todd. Nice job. Tell Daredevil to use more of his voice and quit talking so low. I got to defend Daredevil here. I had complaints before that he was too loud, so I turned him down this time so that he wouldn't be louder than me. I guess I made him too low. Probably my fault. Um, let's see what else we have here. From the 586 area code, I'm 22 and have been listening for about six to seven months now. My arms are like my rims, 22s. Why is he telling me about his arms? He must be used to talking to girls he meets on Tinder or something. Anyway, uh, I'm glad I can appeal to the young audience as well. Most of the show, most of the audience we have of this show ranges between 35 and 55 years of age, but... We have some people older than that and younger than that. I'm glad we have some of the younger crowd as well. It doesn't make me feel as old as I feel sometimes. Uh, someone wanted to know, is the only way to deposit to Bavada Western Union, this is from the 678 area code, uh, can USA players still sign up for an account? And I said, Western Union, uh, you, can't, <laughs> you can't do that deposit method anymore for uh, Bovada. It got taken away by Western Union itself when they caught on to what was happening. Uh, you can still deposit other ways, just not large amounts of money. And uh, you can sign up there still. Just a lot of affiliates have taken down the ability to sign up through Bovada on the affiliate sites because uh, they were told that Bovada 
really wants to ramp down how many new players they get. I think you can also sign up directly by just going to buvado.lv, but of course you'll get no bonus or anything that way, except whatever they're offering at the moment. Uh, 410 area code texted me Happy Hanukkah Can I donate $8 tonight to 8th place For the 8 crazy nights of Hanukkah Go ahead yeah. Go ahead and donate the $8 Send it to me and we will make 8th place tonight To the free roll $8 For the 8 nights of Hanukkah This is the first night of Hanukkah For those of you not familiar with Hanukkah It's not like Christmas where it begins You know as soon as midnight hits Technically Hanukkah begins at sundown Pretty much everything in the Jewish religion, every holiday begins at sundown, including Shabbat, which is uh, like a weekly holiday. So Hanukkah begins the night before you see it on the calendar. So you'll see on the calendar, Hanukkah is December 17th. The truth is Hanukkah is really December 16th once the sun goes down. So as the sun is down everywhere in the United States right now, except for Hawaii, uh, it is Hanukkah everywhere in the U.S. at the moment. And finally, in the 901 area code, hey, Todd, do you like any surf rock bands, old school or new? Uh, how do I answer that? <laughs> Does the Beach Boys count? I, I like the Beach Boys. I like, uh, I like some of that uh, old 60s surf music. I'm not into any of the newer stuff, but uh, I wouldn't say I'm really like a big surf rock fan. Kind of a random question, but, uh, you know, he asked it, so I answered Oh, also, Hockey Guy has put a bounty on Ray Bitar Coin, a.k.a. Hotshot74. So if you knock out Ray Bitar Coin, you get $5, courtesy of Hockey Guy. So thank you to him. He really wants to see uh, Hotshot74 defeated tonight. So, By the way, the uh, the eight dollars came from S Double. That's who sent the eight dollars for Hanukkah. Just wanted you guys to know that as well. So let's get going. Uh, looking at the chat room right now, Tilted Stone asking, "Where do you find your agenda before the show, or, or or where do you find it?" Okay, that's a good question too. I find it by just looking around, you know, various poker and gambling stories that I think are interesting to talk about. Uh, you find it by going to the Flying Stupidity forum, and there's a thread called "Official Druff and Friends Show Thread" for 12-16-2014, which is today's date. And then you listen, or you read it, and you see the agenda if you scroll down a bit. So, here is the agenda. Here it is. Last week we talked about the denial of service attacks that were taking place against various poker sites on the web. That includes... Merge, where it first took place, where it was done presumably to cheat because the guy who was doing the denial of service was doing it right when he was in a pot where he you know, would bet and then denial of service attacked the whole site so it would crash and he would win the pot. So you know he did that multiple times. So it was definitely done on Merge to cheat, but uh, it's being done other places as well. In fact, I experienced it a bit on Bovada. Very short interruptions of service. I assume that's what was happening where Bovada, the whole, everyone lost connection for a few minutes here and there, but it wasn't that bad over there. But one network that is being hit fairly strongly and pretty badly is the winning poker network. And they have canceled a million dollar guaranteed tournament as a result of these attacks. I will 
tell you about that and read the official statement that came from the Winning Poker Network about these attacks. Well, everyone's talking about Caesars and its future. Caesars has been struggling for a long time. Much of that is the debt they took on a long time ago and haven't made enough money to clear. But uh, uh, there is a bankruptcy that's going to be coming, and Caesars has refused to pay $225 million of interest due. I'll talk a bit about what's happening there. Uh, On the agenda, I stupidly listed something from last week, which is... Smoking gun proof that I just copy and paste the uh, the thread from week to week here. <laughs> so I have to remove that. I guess my agenda is one shorter than I thought it would be. The Canadian authorities have raided Amaya's offices there. Amaya is the owner of Poker Stars and Full Tilt. Their offices have been raided, but it's not about them offering online poker to people where they shouldn't be. It's about something different. We'll talk about what happened there and if you have to worry about your money on Full Tilt or Poker Stars. As mentioned earlier, Michael Borovitz, a.k.a. PSU Mike 1999, has been caught scamming once again at the airport. The guy never learns. He, I guess he has the same scam that he knows works, so he keeps running it even though they keep busting him for it. The guy just never learns. We'll talk about what happened there and I'll read you the news article about Michael Borovitz. He was on the show before, by the way. You can look it up. I think in July he appeared on this show, a pretty long interview about how he got to the point where he is. And he claimed to be sorry about the scamming. He wasn't going to do it again. and needed to turn his life around. And eh, I had a feeling it wasn't going to change. I, I just had that feeling talking to him. It didn't sound like a guy who really was ready to turn around, and indeed he wasn't. Here's something interesting, and it hasn't gotten that much press. Uh... At the Microgaming Network, they did a study regarding anonymous tables. Anonymous tables, of course, are best known on Bovada. That is where you don't see who you're playing against. Instead of seeing uh, screen names, which are kind of anonymous, but you get used to the same people playing under these screen names. Uh, Some people under screen names, you know who they are. And even if you don't know who they are, you get used to their play style, even if you don't know personally who the names connect to. And you even can use data mining tools to get more on their tendencies of play. So Bovada and and some other networks as well have gone to the anonymous table model where you're just playing against completely anonymous people where it just says player one, player two, player three, etc. And and there's no way to tell from one session to another if you're playing against the same people or different people. There's no way to identify fish before you sit down and play with them for a while. There's no way to identify sharks before you sit and play with them for a while. A lot of people, myself included, did not like the anonymous tables, both because it's harder to catch cheating and because it's harder to game select. You don't know if you're sitting through in a game that's very tough or a game that's full of fish until you watch it for a while. Well, there's an interesting study that the Microgaming Network did where they claim that anonymous tables actually are helping the pro players win and hurting the recreational players. <laughs> the reason this is surprising is because everyone assumed the opposite. Everyone assumed they did this to protect the fish. They did this to protect the fish from the bum hunters. They they did this so uh, uh, the pro players couldn't target certain fish and only play if the fish are there. Or, or data mine how the fish play and uh, exploit the maximum. Extract the maximum. But according to this study, 
the pros do even better at the anonymous tables. I think I know why, and I will explain it when we get to that segment. They don't explain why in the article I read about it, but I think I know why. PokerStars has introduced all-in percentages as a default option. You can turn it off if you want, but it, uh, by default now, will show your percentage chance to win the hand when you're all-in against someone. You may say, okay, what's the big deal about that? You know, they do it on TV. Maybe the fish will like it. Well, uh, I think this is another pro-hostile change that Amaya has made. And I'll explain why when we get to that segment. Well, the Santa Isabel tribe in California, they want to start online poker even when the state has not regulated yet. Uh, they want, they're already offering online bingo for real money. Uh, the state of California is putting the brakes on that one. They've issued a temporary restraining order against them. We'll talk about what's happening there. Speaking of online gaming in the legalized markets... New Jersey's online gaming revenues have continued to slip. And they're getting concerned there because they expected at this time of year for it to improve, and it has not. It's gotten worse. So the question is, will it ever get better, or is this a trend that is going to continue where they're going to make less and less money? And keep in mind, they're already making about 10% what they were expecting. Now, their expectations were ridiculous, but uh, this is not good news for uh, legalized online gaming, at least within the same state. Uh, a lot of, I think a lot of casinos are not going to want to get into this if it looks like there's not much money in it. Celebrity sports betting tout Adam Meyer, who claimed that uh, he beat the NBA for millions, claimed to be one of the biggest NBA sports, better, sports betting winners of all time. Uh, he has been arrested on fraud and extortion charges. We'll talk about what he is alleged to have done. I have a warning for those of you that want to travel abroad. When I say abroad, I don't just mean from the U.S. to other countries. I also mean from other countries to the U.S. or even other countries to countries that are not the U.S. Basically, traveling from your country to another, you might get a rude surprise when you get to the immigration guys and hand them your passport. You may get a rude surprise and sent back where you came from and not allowed to enter the country no matter how far you travel to get there. I'll tell you about an experience that one of my college friends had recently that he told me about, and then uh, people in that thread on Poker Fraud Alert talked about their own experiences that were similar, and I had no idea about this stuff until I talked to my college friend about what happened to him, and apparently this is common, so... I'm going to give you a warning about uh, crossing the border or flying into a different country if you have any kind of criminal record, even a minor criminal record, even if it's a long time ago. Finally, the editorial. Not about poker, not about gambling. It's about a cheap Jew who likes to make life miserable for businesses that don't act right or that uh, overcharge him in any way. I'm not talking about myself. There's a guy named Ben Edelman who lives in Boston, the Boston area. He is a Harvard professor. He's a lawyer. And uh, he made the news when he really ripped a new one to a uh, 
the owner of a uh, Chinese restaurant in his area just because of a $4 overcharge that the restaurant was willing to correct. And uh, I'll tell you, in that situation, Ben Edelman was very wrong. But there's a second situation that was published where it's not quite as clear. Uh, Should you hate Ben Edelman for what he's doing, how wrong is he for what he's been doing going after small businesses for overcharging him? Is he a jerk who wants to hurt people's dreams of running a successful small business? Is he a pain in the ass for no good reason? Is he just an asshole for the sake of being an asshole? Or does he have a point with what he's doing? I'll give you my take as someone who is uh, kind of a lesser version of him. (laughs) A much lesser version. But uh, I can relate to what he's doing, but at the same time, uh, I, I obviously think he's done some wrong things, but I'll give you my take exactly on how I feel about Ben Edelman and what he's been doing. If you if you wonder what I'm talking about, Google Ben Edelman, E-D-E-L-M-A-N, before I get to that segment, and you will quickly understand what I'm getting at. So that's what we're going to do tonight on the show. Let's see what the chat room has to say before I get going with our topics here. Um, nothing I really see... That's worth repeating on the show. Very uh, sorry to the people in there that you're not interesting enough to repeat what you're saying out here. (laughs) That's okay. We'll get going sooner to the main topics of the show. If I seem distracted or if I pause at any point, keep in mind I'm doing everything here. I I try to read the chat. I look at my texts. I... uh, I have to run the show from a technical standpoint. I have to think of what to say. I have to read some things sometimes, when, you know, notes about what I'm going to talk about. There's a lot to do. I don't have a producer. I don't have uh, an engineer. It's all me, and it's harder to do than you think. So if there's some pausing, I apologize for that, but that's why that is. And uh, I also have one other thing going on. That is I have some sports bets tonight, and uh, <laughs> I kind of want to sweat them. Uh, during the show, but I also don't want to pause the show while I'm looking at my sports bets here. My halftime bet on uh, Utah and New Orleans is not doing so hot. I've done pretty well in those halftime bets, but uh, looks like this one isn't quite happening the way I hoped it would. So, <laughs> so I hope I don't get in too bad of a mood if I go like an 0-3 today. But I'll try not to. I'll try not to let it affect me. In case you're wondering about the holiday schedule of this show, uh, it should be on next week at its normal time. We will not be on December 30th for sure. Uh, We may just have to cancel that week, December 30th. I'm not sure if I can find a day during the week between Christmas and New Year's if I can make it. So may have to cancel December 30th. I'll let you guys know about that. But next week, I will be here at the normal time. And I'll try to start on time. This t- Today I was only uh, 10 minutes late. Not that bad, right? Okay. Here is our first topic, the Winning Poker Network. The Winning Poker Network, which has been under attack by whoever is doing these denial-of-service attacks against them. It's uh, not a network bug. It's uh, an intentional attempt to interfere with that network. There's no question about that. No question. Uh, why is it happening? Well, in Merge, it was definitely happening for cheating reasons. Someone figured out on Merge if you pretty much attack the whole site and make it to where everyone on the site gets disconnected, 
then all you have to do when you're in a pot is disconnect everyone else after you've made a bet, and then you're guaranteed to get a fold from your opponent because he can't act. And got to give a thumbs down to Merge for not realizing this back when it first happened to them on the 23rd of November and not taking immediate steps to put a stop to that or at the very least making it more difficult for this cheating to work. And there's one simple step they could take, by the way, with that happening. You may say, well, what can they do if they can't stop the denial of service attacks? If they're they're such sophisticated attacks, they can't stop them. What can they do? What they can do is they can change the policy to where if there's a mass disconnection during a hand that both players are just put all in. To where when I say all in, you're not forcing them to put more chips in, but wherever you whatever they've put into this point, it's like considered all in, and just runs out the board, and whoever wins wins. Now they would still give the cheaters an advantage, like if they want a cheap flush draw or if they want to try to draw to hit their two outer or something. But uh, at least it's not an overwhelming advantage like it is where they can just force people off at any time and guaranteed win the hand. So I don't know why Merge didn't make a change like that and uh, put a stop, at least, uh, to that cheating method. Anyway, America's Card Room, they're also under attack, and it's not clear if it's also for the same cheating reasons, but uh, they are getting hammered as well. And uh, they were going to hold a million-dollar guarantee, but it didn't happen because of the constant attacks they're getting. They don't want to hold a million-dollar guarantee and then uh, have people not be able to play it right. So uh, this is an email I received from them on December 12th, four days ago. Dear Valued Player, For several weeks now, online poker sites across multiple networks have experienced disconnections and disruptions. Within the last few days, America's Card Room has been experiencing some technical difficulties due, due to deliberate disconnections produced by unknown, an unknown source. As a result, no internet service providers have been able to maintain stable connections, thus causing disruptions to some game sessions. That's not a, an accurate way to put it. They don't want to admit the truth. The truth is, I mean, they kind of admitted it, but the truth is their own servers are being hammered. It's, it's not that the internet service providers can't connect to them. It's that... Uh, their system is being overwhelmed with these denial-of-service attacks to where they're not open for connection. It's not the Internet service provider's fault. Anyway, resolving these issues is our number one priority to assure you a stable and reliable environment. Please note that we are working nonstop to make sure these interruptions come to an end. In addition to major connectivity improvements, we have enabled a new feature that allows us to pause a tournament as soon as a high-level network disruption is detected. During this pause, our tournament staff will communicate with players via table messages. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. If you can't, if you can't connect to the site, how are you going to see any table messages? Once the network goes back to its normal behavior, we will resume all tournaments. We sincerely apologize for any inconvenience this has caused. Thank you for your patience and understanding. Well... Okay, I, I mean, uh, the pausing isn't that bad of an idea. It's, it's better than just shutting down the whole tournament. Uh, but uh, I don't see how they expect people to get updates through the table messages if they can't connect to hear them. Now, this was written before they canceled that tournament, the million-dollar guarantee. Uh, let me get to the story about this. 
Yeah. The, uh, so anyway, uh, it was on December 14th that it was canceled. Uh, they, it, I guess it was already running for four hours when this cancellation occurred. And uh, they finally just gave up and killed the whole thing. Uh, the CEO of America's Card Room, Phil Payton, described in a video blog uh, the situation as, quote, one of the worst weeks of my life. It's pretty dramatic. Payton explained that the, uh, the winning poker network sites, including America's Card Room and Black Chip Poker, are, are suffering uh, cyber attacks that he thinks are directed at the whole online gaming industry. So let's uh, listen to this video blog here. This is uh, this guy went on Twitch and did this. This is a uh, his name on Twitch.tv is just some fish seventy two. Ah, there's some ad that's running here. I don't run ads on my show. No ad gets to play here. So when the ad's over, we'll uh, listen to his statement. It's ten minutes. I don't know if I'll play the whole ten minutes. Probably not. But uh, we will. Listen to what he has to say after this stupid ad is done. Uh, this guy has been on Twitch a lot, twitch.tv, and just rambling about a lot of things. This guy loves to hear himself talk, this uh, America's Cardroom CEO. Jeez, never ends here. Here we are. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> let me know when you can see what's going on. Yeah, riveting stuff. Let's skip ahead here. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. This sounds like this show. He's like, let me see if you can see it. Let me know. Thank you. Thank you for helping me get this going. All right. We'll begin soon. Can anyone hear me? Jeez, where's the main content? I should have queued this up beforehand. Right? Yeah, no, I can't hear you all right. Jeez, I, I should have thought of this. I should have thought of this. I just, I figured it's a video. I can just play it from the start. And no, it's it's him. Can you hear me? Um, can you hear me now? Good. Guys, Can you hear me now? Good. You guys probably know or don't know. Uh, I'm not looking at the chat right now, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, there's been in online poker, uh, I don't know, call it a conspiracy, call it whatever you want. It's A lot of online poker sites have had internet connectivity issues. And um, I have to explain to you when... Uh, you have these internet connectivity issues. Uh, you have to filter out the bad traffic that's coming in that's causing the connectivity issues. And with that, uh, you filter out some good traffic. Hence, players get disconnected, but the site stays online. Uh, for you cash game players, you can see that you know it generally works. It affects the tournament players significantly more than it affects the cash game players. Last Sunday, I made the call to just let all the tournaments run. After I saw the result and I saw how everything went down, how everything happened, I said, wow, that sucked and a lot of people got screwed. So I gave about a quarter million dollars in refunds. And I said, can you hear me now? Good. Can you hear me now? How do you build America's Good. largest wireless network? <laughs> so, so, okay, he's saying he gave $250,000 worth of refunds. Uh, I, I don't think that came out of his own pocket. 
Did it? I mean, somebody can tell me. I, I don't. I think he was just talking about uh, tournament equity refunds, which just come out of the prize pool. If he really gave two hundred fifty thousand out of his own pocket, that's great. But I don't think I believe that. It was the right thing to do because I made a bad decision. Today, and then throughout the week, I, I, yeah, I probably look like crap because I've only slept, I don't know, three or four hours a day for the last week, uh, trying to fix uh, and, and get this all coordinated. We ran well for the last couple of days, and uh, that was more. I guess it was more because uh, whoever was causing the internet disconnections um, Can you hear was me waiting for the million. Good. Because the second that it started, it started. All right, I've heard enough of this. It's very hard to follow this guy. He just kind of rambles. This is me accusing someone else of rambling. So, uh, he's saying something about he gave 250k, it was the right thing to do, it was his mistake. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I haven't really followed the winning poker network refund policy. Uh, let's take a call from Beer and Poker. Maybe he can shed some light on this. Beer and Poker, hello. How's it going, Jeff? All right, so what do you have to add to this? Well, let me turn my radio off here real quick. Okay, that'd be a good idea. Sorry about that. I didn't know you'd answer so quick. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I so basically what he's saying, yeah, like last week, uh, well, on the 7th is when it, they had, they ran the week before that. Um, they started having problems, I guess, with the tournament. I play on this site almost every day. Okay. And it seemed like every single day I played on there, and I play several sit-and-goes and a lot of other games, and everything would pause out, come back, you'd lose your entire time clock, or it would pause out, and they'd pause, you know, they'd, Stop games, whatever. Well, the two days before it, like Friday and Saturday, it seemed like like maybe the attackers, they went away. It's like maybe they were just testing this out because they just started doing this a week before. Um, come Sunday, about half within the first half hour of the tournament, because I played in it, um, it was already having the, the attacks going on where everybody's timing out. It was like picture playing a tournament hand-for-hand every single for the, from level one. That's the way I, I want to describe it, like because that's the way it is. I mean, everybody's either timing out, or they're pausing out. Maybe you could work. One person could uh, click a button, you know, and the other person couldn't. So um, then there was times when it just paused out completely. Nobody could do anything. Is this a, then, is this the million dollar guarantee you're talking about? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The million dollar guarantee tournament. It yes, started sir. at three three p.m. Eastern time by three thirty p.m. Eastern time. It was already. Um, they were already under attack. So, so someone actually waited. The the attacker actually made sure to wait until this thing got going and then hit it. Then they weren't like it's hitting like, it all day. Right. It's like they waited two days, laid low, and then, and then they didn't do anything that day <laughs> until the tournament started. Like right when the tournament started is when they started attacking. He actually says that in the video too. But um, you know, he, that guy does ramble a lot. <laughs> um, so. Several different times, they actually, they, like you said, they did put stuff in the software where they could pause the tournament out. There was a couple different times where, they, like, well, about a half hour into it, they paused it for, like, 15 minutes the first time. And then they started to turn it back up. Then they canceled a bunch of their other tournaments uh, that were going on, to thinking maybe, you know, it's a bandwidth thing or whatever. Well, it doesn't really matter when an attacker's coming with, attacking this way. Uh, it's not really a bandwidth problem. It's, I mean, they, they can shut anything down. It doesn't matter if you have no, you, you're not using all your resources or, or whatever. 
Um, several different times, like during this tournament, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't click a click anything. There was times I had to log out of the software, log back in, couldn't log in, uh, couldn't get to the table when I could get back on. Um, there, was, there was periods where I went like 15 minutes or so. And the th- thing about this tournament is they have five hours of late registration, late registration, 20 levels. It's just every level there's like four hour, four levels an hour. So yeah, five hours. And actually, they canceled the tournament at about 8:30 p.m. Eastern time, which is actually five and a half hours. It's just on tournament based on the tournament clock. It's not when all the pauses and the breaks they have and stuff. It was still within late registration. So uh, the part that p- uh, pissed me off because I played it, and I was still alive in the tournament somehow. It, it, was, it was really uncomfortable to play for sure. I mean, all the pauses and uh, I, I called their support. I don't know how many times. And um. But the way the rules are set up is anytime something is still in late registration, if a tournament they cancel it, everybody just gets their money back. Uh, it doesn't they don't go? It's not an equity chop or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, they the just, who, yeah you, so you just back. wasted your time. So you played four hours basically for nothing. Yeah, it's just they, they could have canceled this within an hour or two hours. Um, but the Cackers just kept on hammering and hammering. I know they had to get a bunch of calls. I guess they, he said he got like 600-some emails. <laughs> and I mean, surprisingly, any time you call them, though, you only had to wait like two minutes and their support. And they're like, yeah, we're working on it. We're, we apologize, uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you have to talk to supervisor and hardly I, could ever get the I wouldn't even bother. Like, they, they know what's yeah. happening. Like, everybody's calling them. It's, it's kind of like when you – when you're driving and, and you see some um, you know, something on the road and you, and you know that unless you're like in the middle of nowhere, if it's like a busy freeway, you know like tons of people are calling 911 about it. So you there's no point for you to and, and clog up the 911 lines. But yeah, but that aside here, um, it, it does sound like that they like I was saying earlier, the whole thing about pausing the tournament. I don't know how effective that is because if this is being done intentionally, then the People who are DOSing them can just keep doing it, and they can pause it all they want. If the goal is to ruin the tournament, the people will just keep ruining it until they quit it. Right. And that, and yeah, you're right that uh, you know, for them to go four hours this way before realizing, hey, these guys aren't going to stop, and we can't stop them. So it's not like they're going to get tired, you know. So at that, they should have, as you said, like after half an hour and an hour, just called it off. But. Uh, uh, they they must have been living in a dream world that somehow they're going to stop this. That's why I understand why they kept it going. And basically, if I'd have known that, I, I satellite it in, and you can't under, unregister when you satellite. Uh-huh. So I would have just busted in the first 15 minutes on purpose and <laughs> spent my day doing something else. That's true. Everybody back. gets their money back. That's true. Why? You know? That's true. Uh, yeah, so – um, yeah, thanks for providing the perspective here. Now, do you know about this 250K? Did he really give 250K out of his own pocket, or was it just 250K of, uh, like, tournament refunds? I would probably just assume refunds. I mean, I don't know. Like, the, a lot of the games, they kept on saying, uh, um, I don't know, I went on the 2 plus 2 and I called support a couple different times and tried to read what people were complaining about and stuff. Because I had lots of games when I paused out, I couldn't come back to complete the game. Like, like a lot of sit-and-goes and stuff I had going. And I mean, I'm playing like 15 and 20 of them at once a lot of times. And so I, they said, well, you send your IDs in and stuff, and we'll take a look at them. You can't get an email back from support nowadays oh, probably yeah. with all the issues going on. <laughs> so I don't know if they're still going to look at those or not. What a mess. But, um, what it's a mess. mess. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean. terrible. They, I mean, uh, look, what they're doing here is they're uh, – it's kind of like you find your house is infested with ants, and you think you're going to stop the ant problem by stepping on individual ants. And, and you're never going to get it done that way. You have to go to the source – uh, you have to figure out the bigger picture of the problem, and it looks like that's not what they're doing. To say our solution is pausing tournaments 
that's not going to work. They, they've got to figure out, and obviously the people who are doing this are waiting for the big tournaments to take place so they can disrupt the most and hurt the site the most. And uh, uh, for whatever reason it is, whether it's just malicious to screw with them or for some cheating reason or, or whatever, it's, it's starting to look more just malicious on this, on this end. The merge thing they were doing to cheat, but uh, maybe, maybe they're figuring, well, if we can't cheat this way, we're just going to screw the sites because it's fun. Who knows their reason? But uh, the point is it's happening, and until they can put an end to this, uh, they need to just not even bother or just take a very, have very quick trigger figure to end, finger to end these tournaments and to deal with the situation. I actually think doing away with these tournaments completely would be, would be better because it would probably make it less attractive to DOS the site. I think the person doing this gets some kind of thrill out of ruining these big high-profile tournaments, whereas if they didn't run any big tournaments, like when do you do it then? Like just ruin random cash games? They may not have as much fun in doing that. So Yeah, this, this whole time they had stuff kept cash games going, and cash games, I guess, weren't affected too much. Uh, they like Throughout the week and stuff, they took a lot of the uh, heads-up sit-and-goes down. And probably the reason why is if, ask, if one guy times out, one guy can come back. I mean, there's an easy way of uh, asking for refunds with there. I, I could just imagine how many refunds people would just – you know, hit them up for with like, you know, heads up, sit and goes and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have to, they have to find a solution. And the truth is if they can't find a technical solution to this and the hackers or not the hackers, but the DDoSers, if they, if they just want to keep doing this to them and ruining the network, then that's going to be the way it is. And they're going to go down this way. This is, they're never going to recover. So they, they've, they've got to find a technical solution. And in the meantime, what they need to do is really ramp down it, not run major tournaments. Don't, bring opportunities to where the people doing this can get attention. I'm starting to think this is about attention. That uh, And I knew people like this. I was part of the 1980s uh, hacker community, okay? And certain hackers I knew, certain people who did that, uh, whatever they were doing, they did it for attention. They loved to see their what they did mentioned in the news, they love right. to disrupt the something. Bigger an attack, the better. Yeah. Yeah. They love to disrupt something and then turn on the news. And go, oh man, I did that. I'm getting a spot on the eleven o'clock news. Like, they, so these people doing this, they may be getting a thrill out of these reports that the million guarantee had to be canceled, and so they need to cut down on high-profile things like that that the DOSers can attack, and they also need to. And I'm sure, of course, they're trying, but they need to realistically find a way to stop this if possible. If they just don't have the technical capability to stop this, then they're in trouble. And uh, right. then they just they need to keep searching for one or it's going to ruin them. Well, what's crazy is like right before the right before or right after the tournament, when they canceled it, they threw up another million dollar guarantee up for February 22nd. Already. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, OK, you guys sure it's going to be fixed by then? Yeah, well, at least February 22nd. Two months off, maybe at least they're trying to be optimistic, and at the same time they don't have to commit to it for a while. So I don't blame them. I don't blame them so much for that. It's not like they put it for next week, but uh, but they definitely mishandled this with letting it run for four hours and waste everyone's time. I'd be pissed too that uh, when when the writing was on the wall about this half an hour in that they let this go forever and just you know pissed away your time. Yeah. So all right, uh, thanks for the update on all this here. That's uh, very uh, very revealing. And yeah. uh, I, I didn't know as much about this. I'm I'm more of a Bovada player. I don't play on America's Card Room or the Winning Network. Not not for any reason. Like I hate them. I just uh, the, the Limit Hold'em games. Yeah, they don't have many Limit Hold'em yeah, games. Yeah, it's, it's really mostly on Bovada and somewhat the Merge Network. But I don't trust them these days. So I I've, don't know why. I, I mean, why that network doesn't have that many? I mean, 
it's just the way it falls. It used to, even back in the poker boom days, like you know, back at 05, 06, there were certain networks that just you know had a fair amount of traffic at their no limit games, and limit hold'em just didn't run. It, they were available, just people didn't play it. And other networks where limit hold'em's always been big, like Bovada, Bodog. You know, they they've had limit hold'em since they started. They've always been a limit hold'em place. They've always had active limit hold'em games. And uh, yeah. so it's funny. There's certain places Limit Hold'em thrives and certain places it doesn't, even back when Limit Hold'em was bigger. But, uh, you know, me being the uh, primarily Limit Hold'em player, that's that's where I go. So anyway, th- thanks for your perspective on this. It was helpful. Okay. Take it easy, Joe. Thank you. Bye. That's Beer and Poker. He's co-host of the show before giving some useful information. We got to hear from uh, a guy who plays on there all the time, and that's uh, the best way to hear about it because I don't play there. Well, let's talk about Caesars. And by the way, uh, I, I want to brag a little bit here. Uh, since Beer and Poker called in and get, got to uh, take over the talking for a bit, I got to open up my sports app on my phone and take a look how my bets are doing. And uh, my New Orleans halftime bet won. And my Dallas New York under, which I thought wasn't looking good after the first quarter, uh, it won easily. So I'm 2-0 and oh so far. So... No matter what, I'm going to have a winning day. So now now I'm not going to be in a bad mood no matter what, even if the third bet loses. Okay, so let's talk about Caesars. Everyone's kind of wondering about them. I have so many people saying, hey, you're a seven-star at Caesars. Hey, you have all these reward credits. Are you going to spend them all? Are you worried that you're, uh, you know, they're going to go bankrupt and all that will disappear? You know, should you bother to even become a diamond or seven-star these days if the company's in this type of shape? These are good questions because you see these stories about bankruptcy and about them not paying uh, large debts, and it looks pretty bad. So this is what's uh, occurred. This is a report courtesy of Haley Hintz, a very good poker and gambling reporter from FlushDraw.net. Caesars Entertainment Operating Company, which is a spinoff company from Caesars. Basically, they spun off a bunch of companies so uh, the simplest way to put it is in order to survive, uh, they basically spun off the debt into the companies, into the parts of their company they want to fail. They like made little spin-off companies like this spin-off company is going to be the fail company. And then the company we want to keep going with, uh, that's where we're going we're gonna to move the debt from there. It's a dirty trick, but basically that's what they're doing. It's almost like splitting yourself in half and saying, okay, uh, I want the bad half of me to face these consequences for what I did so the good half of me can just go on living normally. That, that's basically what Caesars did. So anyway, Caesars Entertainment Operating Company, CEOC, which is uh, one of the spinoff companies, it's the largest of three primary operating units of Caesars Entertainment Corporation. Uh, they've announced that they've elected not to pay a very large debt. They've decided that they are not going to pay the sum of one million dollars if only that were true then they wouldn't be in that bad of shape but no caesars has decided that they're not going to pay a much larger sum of money a much much larger sum of money and uh it's it's much much worse than you could imagine what they're not going to pay is we get the warhead, and we hold. Yeah, I, I blew the sound by you. It was supposed to play. Uh, it was supposed to do this. 
Don't you think we should make... Nah, fuck it. Forget it. I didn't have it ready. Damn it. This is why I need an engineer and a producer. I'm supposed to say $100 billion. But okay, it's $225 million. I hate when I screw these things up. $225 million is the number we've got here. And it's $225 million of interest due. Imagine if you owed $225 million of interest only. But basically that was due yesterday, December 15th, to the second lien bondholders. So they're not getting it. Caesars is saying, we're not paying that interest, F you. And uh, this automatically will be triggering a default within 30 days. So this is pushing Caesars Entertainment Operating Company to even one step closer to an expected bankruptcy filing in January. Uh, so of the $225 million, uh, in defaulted debt payments, uh, it, these are second lien bonds that are held by investor groups, and it was split into several categories. Uh, $41.3 million uh, was uh, due to, uh, you know, to two separate groups of second lien bondholders uh, having to do with a uh, 2008 indenture of those notes issued at 10%, and there's also some more due in 2018. $184 million was due uh, to a large group of second lien bondholders associated with an April 2009 indenture, and uh, there's also some due in 2018. Uh, the article says, according to the filing, the value of the debt associated with the de facto defaulted bonds is about $4.525 billion. That starts to get closer to Dr. Evil's territory. And uh, $825 million in outstanding debt remains associated with the December 08 indenture, and... and <laughs> Three point billion in debt to the larger April '09 debt issuance. This is a disaster. I mean, this is not just the interest they're not paying; they're really in huge trouble. Uh, Caesar's also has a lawsuit involving that 2009 indenture, who said that the company has committed fraud by shuffling the debt around, like I described earlier, into the CEOC operating entity of theirs, and then they're shielding their valuable assets by transferring them to other holding units that they want to see go on. So there's a lawsuit about that. So, uh, U- UMB Bank holds uh, $1.25 billion of the defaulted second lien notes and is a party in that lawsuit. So, um, this is expected. Nothing's uh, surprising here. Uh should you worry about Caesars shutting down or taking away your rewards credits or uh, should you not bother to earn Diamond or Seven Star in 2015 like you may have wanted to before uh, if the whole company is going to go into bankruptcy? The answer is no. You, should, you shouldn't worry right now because of what they're doing. Because of the shady stuff Caesars doing to keep afloat, even though this is crappy, even though I feel bad for uh, – well, actually, someone uh, did point out that you shouldn't feel too bad for them. These Some of these uh, – Second lien bondholders were basically taking a, a calculated risk here where they could have uh, really benefited if the debt got paid. But but whatever. Uh, yes, Caesars is being kind of sleazy here, but uh, as far as how it affects you, the player, uh, they're going to go on. I, I can't see Caesars shutting down. I can't even see Caesars having to sell itself to another company. Uh, I, I can't see them dismantling the total rewards program. That's one of their most valuable assets. That's a very, very strong marketing tool they have. If they were to take away everyone's reward credits, 
uh, or tier status that would infuriate the customers and just make their problems even worse because people would stop coming there. So I, I don't see that happening. I think everything is going to be fine from the standpoint of the players, at least in the immediate future. The only way that I see that this is going to affect you, the player, and this is highly unlikely in my opinion, is if somehow they have to, they're in such bad shape, they have to liquidate everything and sell off to some other casino who then buys the properties only for the properties and rebrands them. So not another company buys Caesars and keeps it as Caesars and keeps everything as is. I mean like another company buys the property of Caesars but rename and rethemes it and then redoes the whole reward program. Basically, they're just buying real estate. If that happens, yeah, your RCs are going to become worthless. Uh, other than that, if there's any sort of attempt to keep the Caesars brand, uh, they're not going to take away your rewards credits. It's not going to happen. So your rewards credits are safe. Your tier status is safe. I'm probably going to re-earn my 7-star in early 2015. Uh, really what I'm looking for on that actually is nothing about this bankruptcy. I'm going to be looking to see if they devalue the benefits of 7-star, which is possible. So you may want to look at what benefits they're going to give in 2015 for Diamond and 7-stars, and if it's not appealing to you anymore, you may not want to do it. But this I wouldn't worry about. Uh, here's some projections made by Caesars regarding longer-term finances of their various spin-off companies. Uh... Let's see. Nah, this is it's not it doesn't make good radio to read this stuff. So uh, I mean, I could read a bunch of numbers, but they won't mean anything unless you put them in the bigger, bigger picture. So anyway, uh, that's the bottom line. The first the first uh, step of this has occurred. The first uh, move toward what is the inevitable early 2015 Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing has occurred. And you're going to see much more of this. But at the moment, don't worry about Caesars. The World Series will take place. Uh, Your awards credits are probably safe. So don't change your plans regarding Caesars properties. But, but as I said, uh, they are going to probably be trying to change some things. So watch what benefits they're changing for the rewards programs. Uh, you know, watch things like that. Maybe your comps are going to go down. So those those things may end up changing, but uh, it's not going to be a drastic thing where your rewards credits disappear or they uh, they shut down operation. If you want to read the whole uh, complicated report on this, you can go to fleshdraw.net and look at the article by Haley Hintz. It's very detailed. Honestly, too deal. De- de- too detailed to give on the radio here and not bore you all to death. So I won't. Let's see what the chat room has to say about this. Jay Stats says, Nobody can predict Caesar's future. Caesar is very complicated. CZR is their uh, stock symbol. He's right. It is very complicated. I can't predict their future. I can just predict the near future. That uh, In 2015, nobody has to worry about holding rewards credits or about the World Series not happening. Long-term future, a lot of things could happen. It, the company could eventually cease to exist. I mean, you, can, you can't uh, keep hemorrhaging money and continue to exist in the long term. So it's possible that they'll eventually have to sell in some way, but uh, uh, right now it'll stay the same. They're, they're trying to keep their heads above water. 
Uh, I am Greek says, I read someplace that the Rio be, may be under contract to sell. Well, they've been trying to dump the Rio for a long time. The Rio is uh, really a pretty worthless property. There's one good thing about the Rio, and that is their convention space. And that's why the World Series takes place there. So, I mean, a lot of people ask me, why do they hold the World Series in the Rio when they have better properties in Vegas? They have Caesars, uh, yeah, they have Paris, they have Planet Hollywood. Uh, why run it at the Rio, which is inferior to all those properties? And the answer is the only one that has the parking and the convention space to accommodate the World Series is the Rio. So much that if they do sell the Rio, I'm not sure where they'll move it. Maybe to Caesars, but... Uh, believe me, it's going to be a pain in the ass if it moves there. Nicer location, but a pain in the ass. The the Rio at least is convenient for the uh, the parking and the space. You may think it's a zoo there, but if you if you think it's bad there, wait till you move the same number of people over to Caesars. It'll be an unmitigated disaster, and uh, I hope that doesn't happen. But uh, basically, the Rio they've been trying to get rid of. Despite that, uh, they've shut down. Everything that was appealing about the Rio before, uh, the show in the sky that's been running since the 90s is gone. Uh, They've really done away with what they're trying, what they used to have there as kind of like a party uh, Brazil type atmosphere, Brazil themed party uh, Mardi Gras atmosphere. Uh, they, They don't even have that anymore. That's why it's called the Rio, you know, for Rio de Janeiro. But uh, it's it's not like this anymore. It's uh, it, it's just a rundown hotel. It's not in the best state of repair. There's buttons missing on the elevators. There's problems in various rooms. I, I took a picture of the headboard that had fallen off my bed. It's a big, heavy headboard that hangs on the wall. And it had fallen on my bed and crashed down on the bed. Thankfully, it happened while I was not in the room. Thankfully, it didn't bang down on my head. I mean, that would have been painful. Imagine you're sleeping in your hotel bed and something goes, whoop, a big heavy thing just go, boom. I mean, it could really hurt you. As I came in and I see the, the headboard off the wall, holes in the wall, laying on my bed. I couldn't believe it. The whole headboard just came off. <laughs> it came off the wall. Uh, how long are Penn and Teller contracted to perform there? Matos in the chat room is asking. I don't know. That's a good question. That show is actually still doing pretty well. Uh, they sell it for like $94 a ticket. Uh, you can get free ticket, tickets to it if you're a seven-star, by the way, two per month uh, as part of your free ticket benefit. But um, if anybody here really wants to see it, by the way, and you're going to make it to Vegas uh, you know, sometime soon, I, I might be able to get you tickets, but no promises. But anyway, uh, it does pretty well. It still sells out. It's I don't know how because it's the same show it's been pretty much for the last 15 or more years, but they still do well. Yeah, Benford is saying they give out they give out the falling headboard rooms to the folks who are overcomped. <laughs> yeah. Overcomped means that you've used far too many comps for what your play says you should have earned. And I am in that category. I'm considered an overcomped player where if I ask the host for anything, I say, hey, Host, uh, you know, I've been playing some video poker today. Can you give me a free meal? <laughs> I'll say, hey, host, uh, my mom and dad are in town. Can I have a second room, please? <laughs> hey, host, uh, you know, I've always wanted to see Britney Spears' show. Can I have some comp tickets to take my girlfriend? 
That, that's seriously the response I would get because I'm overcomped. I've used far more resources from Caesars than uh, they feel I should have been able to use for the level of play I've given them. And I have done this because the Seven Stars program has guaranteed benefits that you don't have to get through hosts. Anyway, let's get back to, <laughs> to uh, what I was talking about. But, yeah, they're trying to let go of the Rio, but nobody wants to buy it because what use is it? Who wants to buy a rundown hotel that's not even on the Strip? It's not even on the Strip. It's west of the Strip. It's difficult to walk from the Rio to the remainder of the Strip. You've got to walk over like a freeway overpass. It's very unpleasant, especially if it's hot or cold outside. So uh, people don't like staying at the Rio. The only value it has, as I said, is the convention space. So maybe if they could find a company that wants the convention space, they can get a buyer, but Nobody wants to pay what Caesars wants for it. So in the meantime, the Rio persists. But it could be sold at any time. If they find a, a sucker to buy it, then, yeah, the World, World Series will move to Caesars or something. Let's take a call here from uh, what may or may not be New Mexico. Call you on the air. What up? So, caller, uh, who this are is, you? Uh, oh, yeah, this is at Tom Crusader Day. Okay. Hello. So, uh, yeah, did you did you get a link in a text that I just sent you? I, I see a YouTube, but what is that? So, um, so if you if you can, I couldn't figure it out, but I wanted to post it in the chat. So, I, um, another incident happened at the store. It, it's a pretty funny ass video. Basically, um, I'm just standing there waiting, uh, you know, to sell people some bullshit or whatever, and this guy walks in. Yeah, so uh, where are your Galaxy S5s at? And this girl's, like, trying to show him and everything. He walks, he beelines towards the iPhones. He grabs one of them and just rips it off the wall. He rips off the whole display. He's there so long, he starts, he puts his foot down and he leans backwards to rip Jeez. the phone off. <clears throat> but the, the video is funny as shit. thought I'd share that with you. Okay, so um, where, what store did this take place at? Um... Or you I, want to I say? rather not say. You don't want to you, say. Okay. You'll see. Okay. you see in the video. But yeah, the same store where the robbery took place. Okay. With the, but it's a it's fire. a cell it's a cell phone store, right? Yeah. Okay. So so some guy just came in and just uh, ripped a whole display of iPhones off the wall and ran out. Did he get away with it? Oh yeah, for sure. He just took off running. I wasn't about to fucking stop him. Not for ten bucks an hour. No, no, no I understand that. Like, I, no, I understand that. Right. Like, like, if somebody's ripping off your own stuff or uh, you know breaking your house, yeah, it's one story. But if if you're just a a paid employee of a big corporation and there's some uh, criminal who steals a uh, you know in a brazen fashion something of value, you know, you say, hey, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Like, what what's the best case scenario? I catch him, and then what do they do? They give me a pat on the back and say, okay, here you go. You know, thanks for your, you know, you keep working here at the ten dollar oh, yeah, an hour my, job. Like, you know, it's my exact words for your got your throat slit in the ambulance. Do you have insurance, sir? No, I don't. I work for T-Mobile. <laughs> and then uh, the funniest part is he grabs one, rips it off fairly easy. And I was thinking, I'm I'm not about to like chase this motherfucker down. I think he's gonna leave, but he stays there and he just proceeds to grab another. <laughs> and he grabbed a third one. But it, it's funny as shit if you could uh, repost that in chat. I just couldn't figure out to get the link. Oh, okay. It's me as a text, so I just sent it back to you. Okay. 
But the problem is I have to transfer it from my phone over to the chat, which is not easy. My phone can't even go in the chat because it's an iPhone. But uh, but uh, anyway, uh, that's – do you mind if I post it on the forum? That might be a, a better thing for the forum to look at. Yeah, go, go ahead. Okay. Pu- public. If someone can, have them save the video because I, I think um, the guy who posted it will probably delete it pretty soon. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, it's uh, I, but, like I agree with you. I it's one thing if you're hired to be a security guard, then you're expected to do the job that they hired you for. But if they're just, if they're not hiring you as a security guard, and they don't hire security guards, and then stuff gets stolen, you don't have to risk your life to chase down criminals. That's not your job. So. Yeah. No, I could risk being sued, hurt. Yeah. Best case scenario, I take the guy out. Oh, I'm gonna sue you out. The T-Mobile's not gonna stick up for me. No. No. All right. Well. All right, well, uh, I'll post the video up on the forum uh, a little bit later, and uh, yeah. we'll all take a, while, take yeah, a look at sure. it. Yeah, uh, for sure. During the show, if I can figure it out, I'll put it on there. Okay. All right. Have Thank a good you. One. Bye. So that's, uh, that's one of our black listeners, by the way, from Las Vegas. He's, got, he's not from New Mexico. He's got a New Mexico number, but he's from Las Vegas, part of our, our diverse group of listeners here. And he worked at a cell phone store, I guess T-Mobile, from what he's saying. And uh, someone just stole iPhones there. Just walked in and just grabbed a whole display of iPhones and ran out. All righty. Uh, let's go to the uh, Amaya story. Nothing more to say about Caesars right now, unless you really want to get into the whole complexities of the bankruptcy, which I don't. Uh, truthfully, i, I got to give Haley Hintz credit. I mean, she really digs in and gets to the nitty-gritty of these things. I... I don't have enough interest in the intricacies of the bankruptcy to really, really, really carefully study it. Uh, I, I find it kind of boring and, and complicated. It's like it's not light, easy reading. It's it's reading you really have to put a lot of effort in to understand. And, uh, you know, I this just isn't something that involves me or, or is going to affect me that much at the moment. But, you know, the, the second lien bondholders, the first lien bondholders who's going to get paid, who's not going to get paid. I mean, it's, it's moderately interesting, but... I like covering more of the big picture on this show. So, okay, uh, the Canadian authorities raided the Amaya gaming offices in Canada. Yeah. And it brings to mind, of course, the bust that happened on Black Friday. And it can be scary if you play on Poker Stars for full tilt. Because Black Friday... Uh, these weren't physical raids, but they were online raids. Again, the, the domains were taken. And uh, the it was found that people did not could not get their money from Full Tilt, that Full Tilt had wasted all the money, had stolen all the money. That was supposed to be player money on deposit. It was gone. So every time there's a raid or some legal action against one of these online poker sites, it's kind of scary for the players. Bring some uncertainty to mind. Well, uh, on December 11th, Forbes reported that the Montreal offices of Amaya Gaming were raided by law enforcement officers and financial regulators. And, uh, of course, Amaya, the company that owns Poker Stars in Full Tilt currently, they bought it from Isai Scheinberg's group. And the important thing to take away from this is that it was raided by law enforcement officers and financial regulators. This is a financial issue. It's not a poker issue. It's not an illegal gambling issue. 
It has to do with the uh, financial markets in Canada. So uh, according to Nathan Vardy of Forbes, officials from the Autorité des Marchés Financiers, AMF, the Quebec Financial Markets Regulatory Body, and the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, the Mounties, showed up uh, at Amaya's offices and the Canadian insurance company Manulife Financial and investment, and also to the investment bank uh, Canaccord Genuity. And they seized some things, uh, like computers, documents, uh, financial records, whatever. Uh, initial statements given uh, were as follows. Eric Holreiser, head of corporate communications for Amaya, for the rational group of poker stars, which you know, works under Amaya, says Amaya is cooperating in an investigation by the authority de Marches financiers, the Securities Regulatory Authority in the, province, in the province of Quebec. It is not appropriate for us to provide any further details at this time. And they said they're cooperating. Uh, then Amaya Gaming produced a longer press release saying the following. To provide clarification on a media report, Amaya Incorporated confirmed that the corporation and its officers are cooperating with the Authority de Marches Financiers, the Securities Regulatory Authority in the province of Quebec, in an investigation with regards to trading activities in Amaya Securities surrounding the corporation's acquisition of Oldford Group in 2014. To the corporation's knowledge, this does not involve any allegations of wrongdoing by the corporation. Amaya will continue co- to cooperate if, that, if and is as requested consistent with our practice to always cooperate with regulatory authorities. The corporation will continue to monitor the investigation as, if, if and is it proceeds. It's kind of weird. If and as, or, and as it proceeds. Uh, the investigation has no impact on Amaya's business operations, employees, or companies. So they're basically saying, uh, you can investigate us. We're going to keep operating the way we are. And, you know, if you find something wrong, we'll deal with it then. So uh, the trading activities referred to uh, may have to do with uh, how Amaya Gaming's stock price uh, shot up in the days leading up to the purchase of the Oldford Group. What is the Oldford Group? That's the parent of the Rational Group who owned PokerStars. So, so basically, right before they bought, they bought PokerStars, the Amaya stock shot up. Uh, the purchase was announced on June 12th. And uh, to give you some perspective, on June 5th, a week before it was announced, the Amaya share price was $10.12. A day later, it was $11.17. You say, okay, a dollar, big deal. Well, that's like a 10% increase. And uh, on June 10th, it, it closed at 10.94. Then the next day, it closed at 12.02, another large gain. And then uh, you know, once it was announced, then it closed at 19.95 on June 13th. That part's not a problem. Uh, what they're wondering is how did the stock price shoot up 10% on June 5th, one week before it was announced that they were going to buy PokerStars. And that, of course, brings some uh, concern about insider trading. There was another run-up of the stock that probably concerns them. Uh, on May 14th, the stock was only $7.29 per share. And then it rose over the next few days. 
Uh, it, it got a bump uh, on May 20th when an analyst wrote that the company might be looking to trade up to a larger platform. And uh, that sparked rumors that they were talking about poker stars. And then the stock closed at 842 that day. It kept rising until May 27th. So they're concerned that uh, perhaps there's insider trading going on here. And you know, why did it rise so much before this was announced? So Amaya is basically saying, hey, this isn't our fault. I, I think Amaya's position here is that uh, they didn't do anything wrong. Nobody committed insider trading. That uh, if any insider trading was done, it was without their knowledge. It was about you know, someone who was involved in the transaction letting it slip out and then certain people grabbed the stock. But that Amaya as a company did not commit any insider trading. I, I, that's not their statement, but I think that's what they're going to get out of here. They're like, Look, we didn't do anything wrong. We just went and bought Poker Stars on June 12th, and uh, a week earlier, Yara stock went up. If that happened, maybe some people found out that abused it, but we have nothing to do with that. Go after them. We'll cooperate. We'll try to figure out you know, uh, who may have bought a lot of stock around that time, driving up the price, how they may have known. We're going to help you all, we, all you want, but we didn't do it. We have nothing to do with this. I, I'm pretty sure that's what they're going to say. Hotshot74 doesn't like the way I've been uh, pronouncing the uh, AMF. <laughs> he says, just say AMF. He doesn't like the way I'm uh, giving its full name there, the French name they have there in Quebec. So, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to believe that Amaya would have itself engaged in insider trading or knowingly enabled it. They're just They have too much to lose to do that, but who knows? It is possible maybe people who have key positions there did this or maybe indirectly did this by having friends or relatives. You know, you, you know let's say you work at Amaya and you know this purchase is going to happen, and a week in advance you tell your, uh, your cousin, hey, if I were you, I'd buy stock in Amaya. Or if I were you, I would tell uh, your brother to buy, or not your brother, I, I, I'd tell, you know, you tell your friend to buy stock in Amaya and then take half the profit. Something to try to hide the relation. Because that's basically what they do in these uh, investigations of insider trading. They see who bought a lot of stock with insider knowledge or allegedly with insider knowledge, and then try to link them back to someone at the company that would have known. And if it's just a random person, if, they, if as far as they can tell, it's a random person who happened to buy a lot of stock then and they can't prove any insider knowledge, then fine. Like, let's say I just decided to take a guess on June 5th that I think Amaya could be one that might buy poker stars. Not, not because I had any info, just because I, I took a guess just from what I knew of all the companies. Uh, that would not be illegal. Amaya would not get in trouble. I would not get in trouble. It'd be completely legal to do that. I just, but if someone there tipped me off and they could prove it, then it would be big trouble. So that's what they're looking for. Wouldn't be too concerned about that right now. Uh, again, the raids had nothing to do with who they offer online poker to. It's not like the Black Friday raids. This was all about the insider trading, and we will see. But basically, Amaya is saying we didn't do anything wrong. If it happened, we didn't know about it. Well, here's someone who did do something wrong. Michael Borowitz, 
a.k.a. PSU Mike1999. We had him on this show. And on this show, he insisted that he was turning his life around. He did a long interview explaining how he went from you know, an educated guy who uh, I think worked as an engineer or uh, a chemical engineer or something like that, uh, t- how he went from that to airport scammer, and he blamed it on Gal Poker. Basically, he said he became addicted to Gal Poker, was addicted to very large action, and every time he ran up money, he couldn't stop. He just kept making his bets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually the odds caught up with him or variants caught up with him. And that when he would run out of money and he couldn't borrow anymore from people, then he would do this airport scam. The airport scam would be he'd stand around at the airport, pretend like he missed his flight, uh, and that he needed a hotel room. And that he'd claim that the airline wouldn't take care of him and he's stuck at the airport and he gives some kind of long, detailed story how he just needs $200 to stay in a hotel that night. And then he'd show them his ID and come off very legit. And said, hey, I'll send you the $200. Just uh, please give it to me right now. I have no other way to get it. And people would fall for this. And uh, this was first brought to light when he tried to scam David Gzesh, who was the former CEO of True Poker. And uh, so David Gzesh went and posted about this in uh, on 2 Plus 2. And then it was discovered that uh, Michael Borovitz was actually a 2 Plus 2 poster. As PSU Mike nineteen ninety nine, who'd been posting there for a while. So uh, let me see if I can find some of the text messages that Borovitz sent me, where he felt that I was talking about him unfairly. This was before he appeared on this show. I eventually had him on here to give his side of the story, and of course, you know, he admitted to what he did and said, "I'm not going to do it again, and I feel bad, and I'm not, I'm not a cold-hearted asshole who's just, you know just doesn't give a crap about scamming people. I always meant to pay everyone back. It just." Uh, uh, it just didn't work out that way. So let's see if I can find his. Uh... This crappy app doesn't save these texts. Well, I guess I can't. No. All right. Well, I can't read them. But uh... anyway, he wanted to come on here and give his side and convince everyone he's not a bad guy. But sometimes a leopard cannot change his spots. And that's the case here. And I could tell when he was coming on this show, what he was lacking was a plan to change. He didn't say, I'm not going to gamble again. He didn't say, I'm going to get a real job. Gambling's in my past. It it, it was more like, hey, I need someone to stake me so, uh, so I can win money playing poker and pay back the money that I scammed. (laughs) That's pretty much the Eric Lindgren approach I I have a gambling problem Uh, Give me money to gamble So I can win your money back But at least Eric Lindgren is a good poker player Who can actually do that Not that I think that uh, That's the right way to go to keep giving these guys money After they scam people But but at least you can say with Eric Lindgren There's a fair chance he'll win money And then it'll go towards his victims Uh, Unfortunately with uh, Borovitz This guy just goes and shoots all the money off In Pygal so there's no evidence that uh, Michael Borovitz, even if he is given money to gamble, uh, will then turn that into money that will go to the victims. So uh, Michael Borovitz was arrested again in Charlotte, North Carolina, with yet another airline scam. 
And uh, I'll read you the article here. This is from the Charlotte Observer. Charlotte police have arrested a man who they say scammed several passengers this week at Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Michael Douglas, or not Michael Douglas, <laughs> I said Charlotte Douglas, and I said Michael Douglas. No, Michael Douglas didn't scam anyone. Michael Borovitz, 39, was arrested Tuesday and charged with five counts of obtaining property by false pretense. He was in jail Thursday with a bail set at $50,000. Police say they are looking for additional victims. Investigators say they were contacted by airline officials Tuesday after a passenger reported being defrauded by a man. Later in that day, police said detectives on a routine patrol at the airport were told about a suspicious person in one of the concourses. Police identified the man as Borovitz and took him into custody. They said he admitted to giving false stories to at least five passengers at the airport to get money from them. Investigators allege Borovitz approached passengers, told them he had been in Charlotte for a job interview. That was the standard story, by the way. His departing flight was canceled because of bad weather, again, his standard story. And he needed money for a hotel room, again, his standard story. Uh, police said Borovitz asked for $200 from the passengers, but admitted to investigators that the story was false. Last summer, a man identifying himself as Borovitz was interviewed on two lengthy YouTube podcasts, one lasting more than an hour and the second about 40 minutes. Are they talking about Poker Fraud Alert? No. They're talking actually about some YouTube show. But uh, he appeared on, I guess, various shows, this one included. I was hoping Potter, Poker Fraud Alert would get a mention, but we didn't. Uh, in those podcasts, the man said he had been scamming airport passengers for years. Police said Borovitz has four prior felony convictions for forgery and burglary and has been arrested in 10 states. Police asked that anyone who may have been a victim of Borovitz and email detectives at whatever. So, yeah, he got nailed again. He's never going to change. I mean, this is the same thing over and over. He just finds new airports. The only thing that changes is he finds a different airport to do it. I can't believe he keeps going back to the scene of the crime at the same airport. Like, if he was smart, I hate to give advice to scammers, but if he was smart, he would quickly scam a few people there and then run off and never sit foot there again. And then go to a different airport. You know, scam five people and get the hell out of there before they can get to the police and get it investigated. Then move on to a different airport. I mean, there's airports everywhere. So, yeah, he may have to travel a bit, but uh, better than going to jail. So, uh, something just sick about this guy. Uh, Something just wrong with him. He did so many strange and self-destructive things that he told about us, he talk, talked about on these, uh, on the show he was on here, uh, where you just have to say, I mean, he scammed a hotel, uh, staying, you know, a long time without paying, just stuff that you had to think he had to know he was going to get caught. These weren't even smart scams or clever scams. It's just dumb stuff that you know you're going to get nailed. So something is, is really, really wrong with this guy. If you want to hear the interview that he had on this show previously, uh, you're in luck because I'm going to play the entire hour 40 minutes of it right now. No, I'm just kidding. Don't turn off the show. Don't turn it. I promise not to play anything. Uh, but actually, it was on the July 16th episode. You can find in the archives. The name of the show is The White Zone is for Immediate Loading of Scammers Only. Referring, of course, to this story. So, uh... That's the episode. It appears uh, kind of the beginning of middle of the show. And let me just, I'm just going to grab a random part of that show. I'm just going to 
That was the song. I'm not going to grab that. I'm just going to fast forward to a random part and see what he's saying. It's kind of interesting to hear after all this time. So I guess I will play a little bit of it, but uh, I just, just a very short bit. Just a very short bit here. And we'll hear what Borovitz was saying then <laughs> before doing this all over again. Let's hear now. Health courts, and they wanted me to go to a program in place of jail and prison. And, you know, they didn't have a gambling program. They only had drug and alcohol. So I had to lie and tell them I was an alcoholic, even though I don't drink. And so they, they, they released me to this inpatient program and I was supposed to stay in the program for a year and then they would reduce the felony to a misdemeanor. And I ended up splitting three different programs. Yeah. I remember him talking about that. So he, he actually, after all he did with this forgery thing, he got caught with, which is a whole different story. Uh, they were going to let him off uh, if he went to this inpatient program, this this rehab place, and then instead of completing it and basically getting his get-out-of-jail-free card, the guy just, quote, split. He just ran off. He ran away from the program that was going to get him out of the whole mess. So even when he has a way out of the trouble he gets into, he still screws that up. There's just, like, it's, uh, he's so self-destructive, I wouldn't be surprised if he kills himself one day. Uh, but probably not, because he seems like so uh, narcissistic. Uh, he seems to love himself too much to ever do something like that. But at the same time, he does these like super destructive things to himself and others. So uh, really strange character. Um, I just I relapsed and I wasn't doing well and I didn't I wasn't getting help with the gambling for the first. Yeah. Okay. So he starts giving excuses why he ran off from the program. Like I don't care if you're getting help or not. If there's a way to get out of going to jail, you complete the damn program. What an idiot. See what the chat room has to say about this guy. He's full of shit. Fuck you, Druff. See how, how did hockey? How did hockey guy know I was going to read it right now? Like he typed that before I said I'm going to look at the chat room. He's like psychic or something. Um, here's something interesting. Forum worst said in the chat room. Alan Kessler says the people on 2 Plus 2 are wrong to judge Borovitz in a public forum for this shit. (laughs) How dare you judge Michael Borovitz for scamming people at airports? You shouldn't judge him in a public place. Why not? Why not? He's guilty. I mean, you couldn't be more guilty than this guy is. He, He came on these shows and said he's guilty. He's not only guilty, he comes on shows like this and says, yeah, I was guilty. I did it. And then he does it again. Like, that's exactly who you should discuss in a public forum. What I can understand not discussing in a public forum is you know, someone's personal life. You know, someone's girlfriend or wife, ex-wife says they did this and that. And, you know, you say, OK, maybe I shouldn't go out and discuss it because I don't have both sides of the story. But this guy did it. This guy's guilty. I, why would Kessler say they shouldn't judge him or discuss it? Of course they should. He also was hitting up people in poker for loans, so it's a community service for everyone to know about this. I had him on here, just I, I wanted to, I thought it was an interesting thing to hear. A scammer himself talking about his scams. So, anyway, this is going to keep happening. Now, he'll be in jail for a while, but not that long, probably. 
this is going to keep happening over and over and over and over again. I mean, this is not going to be the last time he gets arrested at an airport. I, I would bet large money that uh, this is not going to be the last time he gets arrested for scamming at an airport. He, he loves this airport scam. He's obsessed with the airport scam. He doesn't even develop new scams. He, he's so obsessed with the airport scam that uh, he keeps doing it. Even when it keeps getting him arrested. He gets arrested over and over for these airport scams and keeps doing it. You know, like those uh, psychological experiments they do where they'll put a rat in a maze and put an electric charge on some of the walls and then see if the rat can learn not to run into those walls. It's like they're putting these electric walls up for Borovitz, which is him getting arrested. And instead of learning like the rat not to run into that wall over and over, he keeps just running into it again and again and again and thinks that next time he runs into it, it will not electrocute him. It will not shock him. I mean, he must know he can't get away with it. He must know that they always catch him. It's not like he's getting big money out of this. He's getting like $200 each time he scams. So even if he wants to resort to scamming to keep himself in action, you think he'd be able to come up with a better scam than that since he keeps getting caught. But no, he does the same thing over and over. He goes to the same airport, keeps scamming, scamming, scamming until they catch him. Crazy. All right, so this is an interesting story, and it's not getting that much press. But I think it's very interesting. It has to do with online tables. Online anonymous tables, not just online tables. Anonymous tables online in poker. Bovada, a.k.a. Bodog, has it. And... Basically, you just can't see anything about people you're playing against. It lists your opponents as player one, player two, player three, player four, etc. If you note these players in the software, the notes will only last as long as the current session goes. As soon as that player goes and opens another table or moves to another table, uh, those notes are gone. You know, basically, when they leave the table, the notes are gone. So you can't make any kind of lasting notes on anyone. There's no way that uh, data mining software can get information on these people. Uh, you can't look up whether they're fish or good players on something like poker table ratings. Uh, when you sit down at a table on Bovada, you are blind to who you're playing against. There are a few ways, by the way, that you can kind of tell if you're playing against a fish or a good player without having to watch any play. But I'm not going to reveal those out here. Nothing like involving hacking or anything that uh, would be illegal or against the terms of service, but uh, just some observations you can make. But I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but generally, when you sit down, you don't know who you're playing against. And I have had it on Bovada, where I sit down. I think, okay, maybe this is a good game. And then it's terrible. I I realize I'm sitting with five pros here, and I get up and leave. So uh, those are anonymous tables, and why does Bovada do it? Well, they do it for a few reasons. Basically, they hate pro players sucking up the money on their site. They tolerate it, but they don't like it. They really want recreational players to thrive there. They don't like pro players because pro players take money from the site and cash it out, which for any online poker site is not desirable. It takes money out of the economy. 
It takes money out from what they could otherwise rake or win in the casino or win through the sports book. If Bovada had its ideal situation, there would be no pro players like me on there. It would only be recreational players who kind of trade the same money back and forth in poker. And uh, eventually everybody loses to the rake. And everybody else would also lose to them in the sports betting and in their online casino. So basically there'd be very few people cashing out of the site except for uh, lucky very few that happen to win jackpots or whatever. That would be their ideal. But here's the reality. The reality is there are pro players on there. There are a lot of very good poker players who win money and beat the fish there. And of course, as you guys all know, a skilled poker player sitting with a fish has a huge advantage. A fish sitting down with five pros is going to get crushed unless he runs spectacularly good in that session. And even if he does, uh, within a few sessions, he's going to be broke. That's how much the skill difference matters in poker. So they made the tables anonymous to at least make it a little tougher on the pros because the pros were engaging some in something known as bum hunting. Bum hunting is the practice of only playing against bad players and that when you see a bad player and you look him up on poker table ratings or one of these other tracking sites and you see the guy has lost a fortune, uh, then you play. And if everybody sitting at the table is a winning player, then you don't play and you sit out or you leave the table. Uh, this reduces the amount of overall action on the site. Uh, it, it pretty much reduces the action in their poker room to games where a recreational player is getting his money taken by the pros who are then going to cash it out. So it doesn't do them very much good. Yeah, they get some rake out of the whole thing, but uh, uh, a lot of money leaves the site that could have been used for other things that would have made them a lot more profit. So they don't like that. So... Uh, they decided they didn't like a few things about the bum hunting. They didn't like that only the fish would be played and that the pros wouldn't play each other and, and uh, you know, didn't want to waste their rake on playing one another. They didn't like the fact that the pros would specifically target the bad players and that a bad player couldn't sit without a huge contingent of pros pouncing on them and reducing the chance that they could possibly win. They didn't like the fact that these pros had these data mining advantages, either their own data mining software or uh, sites like Poker Table Ratings that would give information on the tendencies of these players, whether they're aggressive, passive, uh, whether they bluff much, you know, you, you know, all this stuff you can get from these uh, data mining sites uh, that would, again, give the experienced player even a bigger edge over the amateur. So by making the tables anonymous... The pros can't do any of this. They can't see who they're playing. They can't identify fish. They can't uh, data mine people's tendencies. Uh, it changes the game a lot. And you'd think it would benefit the recreational player, which is their point. Their point is to make the recreational player not lose as fast and make the pros win more slowly. So a study was finally done on how successful that is. The microgaming network decided to do their own study because they have anonymous tables too. The head of poker, his name is Alex Scott, 
did a statistical analysis of 175 million hands on the microgaming network. And these hands they analyzed were all on anonymous tables. Uh, They did throw out any hands that were at heads-up tables at the equivalent of the rush poker tables known as uh, blaze tables. They took those out. And uh, they also... uh, took out any other games where you didn't have both anonymous tables and normal cash games. Because basically what they wanted to compare, they don't have all anonymous tables there. They have some anonymous tables, some regular tables. And they wanted to compare. That's the only way they could figure it out. Uh, The regular tables versus the anonymous tables, where are the fish losing faster? And when they did that analysis, amazingly, After 175 million hands, it turned out that the anonymous tables actually benefited the pros. Yeah. And you might wonder, how could this be? How could this be? And 175 million hands, that couldn't lie. I mean, it's not like they did this 10,000 hands and say, okay, that's a statistical anomaly. 175 million hands. And they found that at anonymous tables, the pros do better than they do at the non-anonymous tables, and the fish do worse. Which is, of course, connected, but it's that the fish lose faster, the pros win more at anonymous tables. How could this be when you're taking tools out of the hands of the pro players, such as data mining, and such as easy game selection? I think I know. I think I know, because I play anonymous tables all the time on Bovada. And I stayed away from Bovada. I, I played on Bodog a whole lot in 2010. This is before Black Friday. Sh- shows you how much I liked it there before. This is when the tables were not anonymous. I played there in 2010, and I was the biggest winner in Limit Hold'em in the year 2010 on that site. So I did well. Uh, I quit the site Shortly after that, when they went to the anonymous table model, I played in 2011 also, and uh, uh, I didn't play as much. And then uh, when they introduced the anonymous tables, I just quit. But I left for a long time. I recently came back to Bovada about you know three months ago. And I, I came back uh, just because I wanted to give it a try again. But I was very anti the anonymous tables for two reasons. One, because it's harder to catch cheaters there. If you can't data mine the games, then you can't tell if somebody is winning far, far more than they should. I mean, that's how you caught the cheaters on UB and AP. That's how you caught these guys because you're able to data mine them and look at their win rate. If you can't see who's playing what, who's winning what, then you can't tell who's cheating. So I didn't like that. And I also didn't like the fact that I couldn't see who I was playing. I didn't like the fact that uh, I could be playing sharks and not know it for a while. I didn't like the fact that I couldn't see that there were fish in my games. I couldn't tell the difference between a good game and a bad game. So I said, screw the whole thing. It sucks. But I gave it a shot. It's not like I had much of a choice. You know, all the other sites pretty much suck big time, especially for limit hold'em players. So I figured if I want to play online poker, this is really my only choice. So I started to play the anonymous tables. And... I found something interesting. I found something that was actually good for me. I had a bit of a problem of 
having a uh, a psychological disadvantage against certain players that had given me a hard time in the past. Basically, if I was in a hand with a player that I had noticed I had always been losing to, just a guy who's run well against me who's also a good player, I would get in my head, I can't beat this guy. I'd get in my head, he's going to beat me. I'd get in my head, uh, I'd be scared of him. I'm not talking about playing heads up. I'm saying like in a six-handed game, if I'm in a pot with this guy, immediately my mind goes towards the negative. Immediate, immediately my mind feels like I'm going to lose. doesn't matter if I have aces pre-flop. doesn't matter if I just flop top set. I feel I'm going to lose to this guy. He's going to beat me somehow. And, and I also start to worry he's going to beat me somehow and make me look stupid. Now, I get the reverse, too, from people that I usually beat, even good players I usually beat, just from you know, the luck I'm getting against them, or maybe because my style matches up well uh, with their style, you know, matches in my favor, but whatever. Uh, the people who really gave me a hard time, it was much more of a psychological effect than any good effect I would get from those that I would beat. And I found that that made the problem even worse. That sometimes I would not extract proper value out of hands, always feeling like that person's probably ahead of me and probably beating me. Or I'd fold too much against them when they'd be uh, very aggressive. Or, uh, you know, I'd be afraid to make a move on them, thinking if I check-raise the turn with nothing that they're going to three-bet me because they, they always have it against me. When in reality, it turns out I could have done that and would have won the hand if I did. Uh, basically, I was playing sub-optimally against the people who had given me a hard time. It was getting in my head, and I tried to, tried to ignore it, but I couldn't. And sometimes I wished that I could not see who I was up against so this wouldn't happen. Sometimes I wished that I could actually see, or I actually couldn't see who I was up against. I thought that maybe uh, I'd improve. I also was sometimes bothered by the fact that uh, my table image could suffer if I was in a slump. So if I'd been losing a lot recently, I would be afraid, and sometimes it probably was true, people would notice I was losing a lot and see me as a fish they can push around. Now, if I'm getting dealt monster hands every time, that's great. But if I'm not, then uh, that's not a good thing. It makes it harder to play the game if everyone's constantly trying to take shots at you. So, I kind of wished back in the day that maybe it would be better if I couldn't see who I was playing. Well, let me tell you, from experience... This has helped. With anonymous tables, nobody's in my head. With anonymous tables, I can play my normal game. I can make all the moves I think are right strategically and not worry about who my opponent is. I don't have to worry about a bad table image. Maybe at the same table if I sit down and lose immediately and people may think I'm a fish just for my bad results. But but I'm not going to have it carried from table to table or session to session. Every time I sit at a new table, nobody has any clue who I am or whether I've been winning or losing. And uh, while this may, I may lack the intimidation factor that I could have if I've been doing well, I also don't have the fish or bad luck factor, bad luck meaning um, perception of bad luck, that comes with a slump on a site. I don't ever have a table image problem. And I found it helped. I found it made a big difference. 
I have more confidence in those games than I've had in any game in a long time. Even games where I notice some very good players up against me. Because I don't know who they are, they don't know who I am, and I feel that I can beat anyone there. I don't go play people heads up who I think are really good players. I, I still try to stay out of those spots. It's, it's useless, but uh, at the same time, there's no one on there who intimidates or scares me in any way. No one there I have to worry about running well against me all the time. If anyone does, I don't know it. It's one of these cases where it's sometimes better not to know. I think that's the factor here. I think it's not just me who benefits from this. I think whatever you're losing from the data mining and the ability to bum hunt, you gain from not having people get in your head. You gain from being able to play a strategically sound game a lot more often without having to worry about who's there, who's watching you, uh, what people think of your, your table image, who's been giving you a hard time historically on there. With all of that out of your head, you can play your pure A poker game. And if you have all the pros playing their pure A poker game more often, then they win more. And who do they win it from? They win it from the fish. So I think the factor going on here is that the anonymous tables allow the pros to play their best. And of course, you have all the pros playing their best. Who suffers? The ones whose best isn't very good, a.k.a. the fish. Now, this is not discussed in the articles about this, but I have to say that has to be the factor. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense that you take tools that help pros away from them. How could they do better without those tools? I don't know if you guys have uh, swam with fins before, either in the ocean or in a swimming pool, but you know, if you swim with fins, you swim much, much faster. When you kick your feet, you move so much faster than you do without fins. Uh, so this, to people, would seem like you take away the data mining, you take away the ability to identify players you're playing with, identify fish, it's, it's like the difference of uh, swimming with fins and without fins. And, and here it's found that the people swimming without fins are, are, are going faster. But it's because of this other factor. I'm just about sure of it. Because I feel it myself. I noticed it myself. And what I'd always suspected, that if I just couldn't see who I was up against, I'd be a better player, is true. Bobby Orr asking me in a PM, how did the people doing the analysis even know who's a pro and who isn't, especially since it's anonymous? Well, the person doing the anonym, the analysis is the head of poker. He can see everybody who's winning and losing. He can see it all. It's not anonymous to him. So he analyzes it and figures out, you know, the winning players, how do they do at the anonymous tables versus the non-anonymous tables? Now, there is one possible explanation, and that is that maybe fishier players play at the anonymous tables there than at the uh, open tables where you can see who everybody is. Maybe the makeup of those tables is different, and therefore the win rates of the pros is different. That's possible too. But I, I don't think so.
Darkstar asking a very uh, exciting question here in the chat. He's, he's already disappointed the chat's not moving very much tonight. But he writes, Hey, who likes fudge? <laughs> who likes fudge? If you want to ask a more interesting question, ask who likes fudge packing? That might be a good question for the chat room. So, Macho is saying in chat, it makes sense, you know, what I've been saying, because the truly good players don't need that shit and win anyway. That's definitely true in Limit Hold'em, especially with a small player pool. You don't really need data mining that much. I always felt the data mining was overrated. Aside from being able to tell who's efficient and who's not, as far as their tendencies about how much they raise, how much they fold, how much they call, it's not as important. That's more important if you're... If you're either on a huge site with a lot of different players going through it, or if you're uh, playing against all good players and have to figure out every little thing about their tendencies. But I, I really think that the anonymous tables reduces tilt, and it reduces fear, and it reduces intimidation between the pros. Okay. Oh, I see. Uh, Darkstar is saying, I saw that on the Letterman episode 20 years ago. It was on top 10 list, I think, of awkward party conversations. I see. So he's asking that uh, because he feels the chat room is an awkward party. <laughs> Snowtracks is suggesting that uh, for me to do better at the World Series, I should probably wear a blindfold. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe what I should do is I should construct a hat that uh, doesn't allow me to see the player's faces. And uh, this way I can't tell who I'm up against at the table. Like a hat that blocks out everything but the chips that are being bet. Maybe I should do that. Hmm. I don't know so much about the World Series because there you just kind of get randomly placed at tournament tables. Though it might help in a small event like uh, you know, the 10K Limit Hold'em, where I know most of the people there. Like, there are definitely people at the 10K Limit Hold'em that I have memories of, of always beating me online or when I play them live at Bellagio or Commerce, and like I'm like, crap, I don't want this person here. So, maybe it would help if I didn't know who they were. In fact, I'm, I'm sure it would. I'm sure it would. All right, so uh, speaking of things that may or may not help fish, PokerStars has introduced all-in percentages as a default option on their tables. Default option meaning you can turn it off if you want, but uh, it's on for everybody until they go through the trouble of turning it off. So most people are going to have it, especially most fish. What I mean by all-in percentages is when two or more players are all-in and it's just got to run out the cards when there's no more betting to be done, it shows the percentages based upon the mathematical probability of them winning the hand, just like it does on TV. Now, some people might think that this is a good thing, that it's going to make it more fun for fish, make it feel like they're on TV. The type of poker that probably attracted them to the game in the first place. But, no, it's not a good thing. Not a good thing for the pro player. Why? Because if you're a good player, and I'm talking more about no limit here, and limit hold them, it doesn't really matter much because you don't get all in until the person is uh, pretty much down to the felt. So 
that doesn't really matter much. But in uh, No Limit, the good players beat the bad ones by mostly getting the bad ones to put their money in in bad spots where they're a very much of a uh, an underdog. The biggest problem that bad No Limit players have is calling too much. There are some players who fold too much also, but the, the biggest problem are the players who can't let go of a good but not great hand. Players who can't figure out when they're beat. Players who don't want to let go of top pair. Uh, players who just can't fold. They're always convinced they're being bluffed and they always have to call and they're always in awful shape. Those are the bad players in No Limit Hold'em. The good players are the ones that when they get their money all in, that it's usually good. The good No Limit Hold'em players expect the fish to call them a lot. So beyond the standard uh, continuation bets or maybe the double or triple barreling, barreling, they, they usually don't try to put a fish all in if they think the fish has something, uh, if they th- don't think they can beat their hand. So you don't see good players trying to run fish off of top pair very often because fish are going to typically call the top pair and uh, and then the good player is going to lose his money. So the reason I'm saying this is that you don't want the fish seeing that they're always getting their money in bad. If it seems like over and over and over they're seeing a low percentage of winning when they're all in, they're not going to feel very good. Let me give you an example. The fish has ace-king. You have ace nine. The board is ace nine three five. No flush possible. You get the fish all in for a good chunk of money. Not like a spot where everybody would have to go all in there. But you get the fish to put in way too much with that ace king on the ace nine three five board when you have ace nine. Well, the fish sees that. He sees you turn over your ace-nine all in, and he says, okay, well, I'm not happy about this. I'm behind. Feels kind of crappy, but, hey, I can still hit a king and beat him. I can hit a king on the river. I'm not in that terrible shape. I'm I'm probably going to lose, but I've I've got a reasonable chance to hit that king. I'm going to hope to hit that king. But if the players saw it, say, 7%, which is what it is in that spot, if he saw it say 7% and 93 for his opponent, that's very demoralizing. You have a 7% chance to win. All of a sudden, your ace-king looks awful. All of a sudden, your decision to put all that money in with ace-king when you're down 93% to 7% is terrible, and you feel like a chump. But it really is 7%. He has three outs. Three outs out of 44 cards. There's 52 in the deck. There's four on the board. And each player has two cards. That's eight cards. 52 minus eight is 44. So basically he has three out of 44 cards, which is 7%. It's actually less than seven. It's like 6.88%. But can you imagine? The fish sees 7%. So what seems like an underdog, but not like a vast, vast underdog situation to a fish, now he gets the truth that he just put in a ton of money with a 7% chance to win. And when he loses, instead of saying, oh, man, I I was hoping I'd get lucky there, but I didn't, he's going to go, crap, I had a 7% chance. No wonder I lost. Well, this sucks. How come every time I get my money all in and I'm behind, it's always something like 7%? And and it's going to frustrate the fish, and they're not going to want to play. They're going to quit poker a lot sooner. 
they're going to have the harsh realization, or maybe they'll even get better. Maybe they'll say, hey, wait a minute. Wow, I got I to gotta watch out for this. I got to watch out for this situation where I think I'm up against two pair when I have top pair. I got to watch this out. I, you know, I, I've got to be careful because this is much worse than I thought it was. So this is bad news. And why is Amaya doing it? Amaya is doing it for two reasons. One, because they want to help the fish. And two, because they want to make the game more fun for the fish. And they think the fish, if they see this percentage up there, that it'll make them feel like they're playing poker on TV. In fact, that was probably the main reason for doing it, but it probably has the unfortunate side effect of showing the fish how bad they're getting their money in. So yet it's another change by Amaya that is harmful to the pro player. Yes, people can turn it off, but who's going to turn it off? You know, most of the fish are not going to turn it off. Most of the fish don't turn anything off. They just run the software as it comes. I can't wait for Daniel Negreanu's rebuttal to this. All right, California has issued a temporary restraining order against the Santa Isabel tribe regarding their online bingo site. Now, this is a ridiculous site, uh, Desert Rose Bingo. I, I looked at it during one of our previous shows, and, and the, like the 10th biggest winner on the site, they had like a leaderboard of big winners. At the time, like the 10th biggest winner on the entire Desert, Desert Rose Bingo site had uh, won a lot of money. The 10th biggest winner had won... One million dollars. If you divide it by about five hundred thousand, they won a uh, dollar seventy-eight. What I remember is correct. The tenth biggest winner won a dollar seventy-eight. There wasn't exactly a titan of online gaming for sure, but uh, this was kind of their precursor, and they even said so. Their precursor to their online poker site that they were going to run regardless of whether or not the state of California was going to legalize or regulate online poker. And they had some kind of shaky legal ground that they were standing on of why they should have the right to do that. Well, before they could even get the poker off the ground, and they've been saying for many months now they're going to get the poker going for real money, but they haven't. Uh, The state of California had enough with these people. And they said, okay, uh, we're going to stop this. So the state of California got a temporary restraining order against the Santa Isabel Indians, and uh, the motion was granted by the presiding judge in the case, uh, U.S. District Judge Anthony uh, J. Battaglia of the Southern District of California, and it said that they're going to have to suspend the operation of their Desert Rose bingo site, which went live on November 3rd. Uh, The tribe has not yet issued a response to the ruling. Uh, Battaglia struck down the main arguments that the tribe raised in a countering motion. Uh, The primary points of contention were that the tribal sovereignty of the Santa Isabel Indians, uh, their rights of a sovereign tribe, bar the state of California from taking action against any kind of gaming that was defined as Class 2. Class 2 is uh, considered both bingo and poker. And uh, therefore, it's not subject to the compacts between the tribe and the state 
under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, and that's a, a federal act that uh, governs the offering of the tribal gaming. They're saying that uh, Class 2 games have nothing to do with that. But uh, Bataglia said, no, that's wrong. He said that uh, the online bingo was Class 3 gaming, not Class 2 like they claimed. And uh, since they granted this uh, temporary restraining order, it's looking unlikely that uh, they're going to now try to offer online poker because they'll probably have the same thing occur. Now, if you remember this online bingo game, you weren't directly playing bingo. It was a stupid thing where you were playing bingo by proxy, where you could play bingo and somebody else would physically play the bingo for you at the Desert Rose Casino, which is really weird, not the Desert at the uh, Santa Isabel's uh, site. It was really weird. But uh, here's the ruling that came from uh, Bataglia referring the, to the, uh, the why this wasn't uh, considered a Class 2 game as bingo. He said, uh, determining whether the compact was breached depend on whether bingo is considered a Class 2 or a Class 3 game. Uh, regarding the scope of Class 3 gaming, the compact provides that the tribe is authorized to operate the following gaming activities. Gaming devices any banking or percentage card game, any devices or games that are authorized under state law to the California State Lottery, provided that the tribe will not offer such games through the use of Internet unless others in the state are permitted to do so under state and federal law. Class 2 games may use technological aids, but if the technology is determined in electronic facsimile, the game is elevated to Class 3. So basically what he's saying here is uh, um, anything that is considered a an electronic version of an existing game becomes a class 3 game. So for that reason online bingo which is a class 2 game which uh, has different laws like much lax much more lax laws governing it than the class 3 games that they can offer at their casino that any electronic version of it automatically becomes class 3. So even if you can offer bingo in your brick-and-mortar casino, you are not allowed to offer it online because it's a Class 3 game. It automatically changes it to Class 3 once it's offered online. That's basically what he's saying. So that's going to apply to poker, too, obviously. Even if poker is a Class 2 game, uh, it will become a Class 3 game once it takes place online. So that's going to be the end. They're, they're going to get a restraining order about the poker if that ever comes to exist, too. So you can forget about the Santa Isabel legalized online poker in California. Besides, uh, believe me, it was very hard to deposit on there. Uh, there's no way anyone was going to trust this tiny tribe with their money. It was going to be a fail site anyway. They were not going to have their dream realized of Californians rushing to play poker there. It was going to be a joke. It was going to be a complete fail site. And as you see with the bingo, which is a far less popular game than poker, but still their bingo, the 10th biggest winner was $1.78. And I think the big winner had won like $35. So... Uh, the poker wouldn't have done much better. But they're not even going to get a chance to try because there's going to be these restraining orders against them. So this has pretty much been shut down in its trek. Let's take a look at the uh, site here, of desertrosebingo.com. Let's see what's up there these days. Ah, there we are. They They have responded. I said they hadn't responded, but I was reading an old article. I'm also seeing that my uh, 
underpick for Sacramento and Oklahoma City is not doing very well. I knew that was going to lose. Once like all the public money went the other way, I knew it was going to lose. By the way, anyone who bets sports and you see a ton of public money the other way, then you want to bet, don't touch it. Or if you're going to touch it, go the way that the public money's going. When I mean that, when I say the public money, I mean like a lot of public money. Like when the line really moves, not like a little movement. That doesn't matter. But when there's a ton of movement, usually you're on the wrong side. If you're against that big money, if you're if the line is moving uh, in the direction where your line gets better, if you bet it, that means you're on the wrong side. If there's a ton of movement, just just telling you that. So I uh, I bet something earlier, and then the line moved way up, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to lose this. Sure enough, it's losing. Okay, so uh, here's what it says on DesertRoseBingo.com. Temporarily unavailable, Santa Isabel Interactive regrets to inform our loyal customers in California that the operations of DesertRoseBingo.com are temporarily suspended. This is due to a U.S. district court granting a request by the state of California for a temporary restraining order against the Santa Isabel tribe and its government agents. The Santa Isabel tribe looks forward to vigorously defending its legal, well-regulated, VPN-aided Class 2 bingo net enterprise in federal court. It's not VPN-aided. It's, a, it's online gaming. VPN-aided. VPN is a, a virtual private network. That's not what they were doing. It was over the Internet. Uh, the district court's mistaken reliance on an outdated case law and its misinterpretation of the construct of Santa Isabel's bingo, bingo games resulted in issuing this misguided decision. (laughs) The decision threatens tribal sovereignty of all tribes and sadly denies the Lepi Nation of Santa Isabel the ability to provide vital services and opportunity for tribal membership. We appreciate your support and encouragement against unreasonable government interference and restraint of the exercise of tribal jurisdiction and self-reliance. We look forward to resuming the operation of DesertRoseBingo.com in the near future and apologize for any inconvenience. Yeah, Uh, look, this is a tiny tribe. They don't have the funds to even begin fighting the state government of California. They've they've just got crushed here. They have no chance. They, They can go on about the misinterpretation of the law and the outdated case law, but there's no way they're going to win this. First of all, they're wrong, but even if they were right, they wouldn't win. DesertRoseBingo.com is dead, and their poker site they want to offer is dead. It's done. It is done. And the other tribes are not going to stand behind them. The other tribes think they're a nuisance. The other tribes want the legalized, state-sanctioned version of online poker, and they don't want to screw with this crap. Believe me, the other tribes do not want to stand behind them. They're not going to get the other big tribes going, hey, well, this is an attack on the tribe's sovereignty. No, no, no. The other tribes want to cooperate with California to get this going without interference. And they hate these rogue tribes that are trying to make the process even tougher and, and get a jump on everybody trying to follow the rules. So the other tribes will not back them. This is done. Well... Here's something else that uh, isn't done, but it's declining. The New Jersey online gaming revenues are not doing very well. Uh, For the third month in a row, online poker revenues have declined in New Jersey. Online gaming, not just online poker. They have everything there. Not sports, but they have casino games and they have poker. In New Jersey. 
let me give you uh, a history of how much money the online casinos made, including online poker, in New Jersey, the legalized ones. Uh, In December of 2013, so we have 12 months of data here, uh, they made about $2.75 million. Their best month ever was in January of 2014, where they made almost $3.5 million. February declined to a little over $3 million, then March got a little better, about, about $3.2 million. Then the bottom started to fall out. April, it fell all the way from around $3.2 million to around $2.6 million. That's a big decline. May, it then declined to about $2.25 million. In June, it fell all the way to just over $2 million. Well, it seemed to have uh, improved and go back the other way. In July, it went up from just over $2 million to about uh, yeah, 2.15. In August, it was about 2.25. And then that was the end of the increase. September, back to about $2.05 million. In October, for the first time ever, they fell below $2 million to about you know, $1.95 million. And now uh, in November... They're down to 1.877 million, an all-time low. So it's the third consecutive month it fell. It is almost 50% down from the peak of 11 months ago, or 10 months ago. 10 months from January to November, it fell from like 3.4 million to 1.877 million. It's a downward trend. And uh, now it is true that November has only 30 days and October has 31. So that does answer a little of it for the decline. You know, they were, if, even if he stayed the same per day, it would have declined. Uh, but uh, but still, that's it's still declined even if you take that into account. Uh, Borgata's party poker site saw a 2.52% decline from October and uh, WCSOP.com stayed about flat. But the, the bottom line is it's it's declining in general. They, they've got about half what they had in January. And that they had a steep decline, then a very small increase in the summer, and then a big decline again. Maybe some of the decline that happened in June was because people left to go play the World Series of Poker. And maybe that's why it started to come back in July and August. In July, people came back maybe in the middle of the month. In August, everybody was back. But but, uh, since then, it's been declining every month, September, October, November. I believe that uh, these sites are just losing their allure. They never had that much in the first place. This is not the type of money they were hoping to make. I mean, $1.877 million in a month, that sounds like a lot of money maybe because uh, you know, to an individual it is. But to a large corporation, that's nothing. That's dropping the bucket. And this, this is a, an aggregate of profits from all the corporations running these sites. So if all the online poker and online gaming sites total in the state of New Jersey made $1.877 million in, uh, in November... That's terrible. That is not what they were expecting. As I said, even what they made in January, they thought they were going to be making like 10 times that. They thought this was going to be a a huge 
boon to them. And it's, in fact, just been uh, very underwhelming. This is bad because it's going to convince a lot of casinos and state governments that it is not worth pursuing online gaming and all the headaches that come with it. Especially because this is including casino games, which uh, they make a lot more money on than poker. So poker-only games are really going to struggle. Poker-only sites are really going to struggle here. So I I think what this is saying here, New Jersey's a medium-sized state. It's not small population-wise like Nevada, and it's not huge like California. It's a medium-sized state. And I think what this is saying is that even medium-sized states are not big enough to support online gaming to where it's worth doing. There's a lot more headache and expense and trouble and resources that have to be put into running these than what it's worth with what it's generating. So I think this is going to be a message to all other states, and the, all the other states are going to be like, you know what, screw this. If this is all New Jersey's getting out of it, uh, we're not going to even bother trying here. So I think California is still going to go forward with it, because California is a huge state, has one-ninth of the U.S. population. But I think pretty much every other state, except maybe New York, who's also got a fairly large population, I think all the medium and small states are probably going to say, screw it, we don't want to bother with this, until there's some sort of cooperation between states. Now, if you remember, New Jersey said they don't want to cooperate with uh, Delaware and Nevada anymore because they don't bring much to the table. And it's true, they don't. So I think New Jersey will be interested in cooperating with larger states or maybe even medium states. But that's that's the possible future would be states that cooperate. And I have a feeling that future legalization of online gaming, including online poker, that takes place in the U.S., I think it's going to happen where cooperation is built into the starting point. It's not going to be like the New Jersey situation where they get going and say, hey, maybe we'll partner with someone later. I think some of these are not going to want to get going unless they have a partner already in place. So let's just pick a state like, I don't know, uh, like a medium-sized state I just pick out of my ass. Uh, Georgia. Let's say Georgia wants online gaming, which I haven't heard they do, but let's just say they do. Uh, Georgia may not want to bother with this unless they know that they have like a partnership with New Jersey already before they start. If California gets going, that might kickstart the whole thing because if California is willing to partner with other states then this could really encourage other states to join on board knowing that they have a a big player pool already. But again, this would only be poker. The online casino part, uh, there's no point to have a partner because uh, these are not games which need multiple players. A partnership wouldn't even make any sense. A partnership would only make sense for poker where you need multiple players at the table for the games to go. I'm just afraid there's not enough money in poker to make it worth the while of any of these states, even if, like, let's say New Jersey partners with California for poker, okay? In California, let's say they have a big player pool. Great, but New Jersey won't get anything out of that player pool. They will only get what their own players rake. So if they don't have many players, period, even if California has a huge room, it's not going to help New Jersey at all if they don't have that many players to play there. They're still not going to make much money. So I'm afraid that this is going to be the realization of a lot of these states, is that even if they can cooperate, they're just not going to make much money. And it might end up that only the large states end up providing these games. 
Now, what would be really nice is if federal online poker could take place, and then you could have companies offering it at a federal level, and they don't have to worry about which state is profitable and which isn't. They just run it, and then, you know, maybe they could have some states opting out, but the rest it's just uh, whoever wants to sign up wherever they are in the country. But that is not going to happen anytime soon. So this is not a good sign for the future of legalized online poker at a state level. I think this is going to be a lesson to the smaller and medium states not to bother. I also think that New Jersey is going to get worse, not better. I think every month we're going to see a decline. I think eventually it will level off to where it doesn't decline forever, but it'll probably level off at a level that they're not happy with, maybe a million dollars. They're already not happy with the 1.877 they made in November. So uh, let's talk about Adam Meyer, who was uh, arrested on fraud and extortion charges. This is a, a sports betting tout. If, if Adam Meyer was actually any good, he would have told me tonight, uh, don't bet on the under for Oklahoma and, San Diego and, and Sacramento, which at the moment is uh, 115 points at the half, which is bad news for pretty much any under in the NBA. Still got a shot, but not a good one. Anyway, uh, Adam Meyer is what's known as a celebrity tout. A tout is a person that uh, claims he has winning sports betting picks, and you pay him for his advice. This is a legal industry, by the way. You are allowed, even in places where sports betting is not legal, you are allowed to spe- to sell sports picks. Uh, there's There's nothing illegal about doing that. Unfortunately, a lot of these guys are very shady. Uh, Of course, there's the age-old question. If your picks are so good, why aren't you betting them yourself instead of selling them to others? If you're so sure you're a big winner, why why ever sell them? Why ever uh, give away your secrets? Why allow other people to move the line when they bet it? Why allow the sports books to get wise to how you're beating them by having so many people bet the same way as you do? These are valid questions. Now, the answer you'll always get from these touts is either I've been restricted, I can't bet anywhere because I'm so good, they don't let me bet anymore, or uh, I decided to do this to uh, reduce my variance. Uh, I, it's easier money for me to give you winners than to bet them myself and still deal with the gambling aspect of it. Because it is still gambling. Or they just don't answer you. <laughs> or they say that uh, they already can bet their maximum allowed, so they might as well share their picks with everybody else. But uh, Adam Meyer was uh, a sports betting tout who uh, made a lot of grandiose claims about himself. This is on the About page of AdamWins.com. If you go to AdamWins.com slash About, here's a description of Adam Meyer. There are always 
all kinds of debates on who the biggest star in Vegas is. Well, around this time of year, there's no question about it. His name is Adam Meyer, and he's a sports consultant to the stars. You don't think for a minute that the biggest players in Send It In City pick their own games, do you? No way. Adam is box office money, and the heavy hitters know it. His client list reads like the front page of Variety. So he's trying to say that uh, all the big gamblers, all the uh, celebrities who want to bet big on games, they don't just fire on games randomly. They, they call guys like Adam and say, hey, Adam, what do you like tonight? And Adam tells them, and they bet, and they win. Adam has been in the handicapping business for over 25 years. If there's an outcome, Adam will show you how to turn it into an income. Adam appears on more than a dozen current radio shows across the country as well as TV and radio in the UK and China. Adam isn't a rising star. He's already there. Adam has been featured or referenced in USA Today, ESPN Insider, CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, ETV, ETV, Cigar Aficionado, the Las Vegas Review Journal, and the list goes on. Well, yeah, um, being featured or referenced doesn't mean it's good. It could be saying you're a scammer. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I think about it. Uh, Bernie Madoff has been featured in many major publications that are well-respected. That doesn't mean that you should be uh, investing with him. So here's what's going on with Adam Meyer. He has been arrested on charges of fraud and extortion regarding the extraction of over $25 million from a wealthy Wisconsin client over a four-year period. Yeah. $25 million out of one guy. Uh, this was from uh, JSOnline.com, the uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin Journal Sentinel. Says Adam Meyer, a nationally known sports betting tout, was arrested Tuesday on charges that he used fraud and threats to scam $25 million from a Fond du Lac area man. The Fond du Lac is in Wisconsin, by the way, according to an indictment on Seal Tuesday. In a single week in April 2012, the man wired $9.8 million to accounts controlled by Meyer or his agents, the, the indictment charges. The money was wired after a Meyer associate demanded the money at gunpoint, the indictment states. Brian H. Bieber, Meyer, and his attorney says that when the, quote, full set of facts and circumstances come to light, they will show that, quote, facts as stated in the indictment are not completely accurate. <laughs> that's, that's not a very strong denial. Instead of, my client didn't do it, it's that uh, it's not completely accurate. Yeah, it could be 95% accurate, and that would you know, not be completely accurate. Meyer, who's 42, by the way, has he, how has he been in the sports betting industry for 25 years if he's 42? Hmm who bills himself as the sports consultant to the stars, was arrested in his South Florida home on charges of wire fraud, extortion, racketeering, and brandishing a firearm, according to the six-count indictment raised in U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Wisconsin. The indictment was issued last week after an investigation by the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. In addition to selling tips on who will win professional and college sporting events, a service that is legal, the indictment charges that Meyer referred some customers to offshore bookmakers to take bets. Although he told clients the bookies were, quote, third parties, the indictment charges that the purported third-party bookmakers were actually associates of Myers and were working on his behalf. So Myers was uh, allegedly running these sports books offshore and pretending like it was a third-party site. 
As a sports tout, Meyer charges up to 250000 to provide gamblers with his predictions on the outcome of major college and professional sports, including football, basketball, and baseball, the indictment states. Meyer owns Real Money Sports, Inc. and claims to employ more than 130 sports experts, including ex-players, and have a 60% winning percentage. He, ha- he reportedly won more than $1 million on the Gre- Green Bay Packers during its Super Bowl season. On his AdamWins.com website, he brags that Adam is box office money and the heavy hitters know it. His client list reads like the front page of Variety. I already read that to you guys. The indictment is not Meyer's first run-in with law enforcement. In 1996, he was sentenced to three months in federal prison, followed by 12 months of probation after he was charged with extortion, racketeering, and threats, according to online federal court records. He was indicted and convicted in Louisiana. No additional information was available. The most recent indictment charges that a Fond du Lac area man began buying betting tips from Meyer in 2007 and that Meyer referred his client to bookmakers to take wagers. Meyer, quote, falsely represented that he was not connected to the bookies. In 2008, the indictment says, Meyer told his client, identified only as victim A, to send $1.2 million to accounts controlled by Meyer's. Uh, Meyer then uh, took those funds. uh, They were later seized by law enforcement agencies in Florida. Later, after victim A cut back on his gambling, Meyer claimed his own life was at risk because he owed big money to a bookie. Meyer said a man named, quote, Kent Wong was demanding payment, the indictment said. Kent Wong was actually an alter ego created by Meyer. So he was telling victim A here that uh, this Kent Wong was going to hurt him or kill him for not paying him, and he was actually Kent Wong. It would be like me saying that Alvin Finkelstein is going to kill me uh, because I haven't been paying uh, his legal bills. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway uh, Later after oh, sorry, uh, Meyer also false, falsely told Victim A that the bookie believed Meyer and Victim A Were gambling partners And that the bookie was holding Victim A Equally responsible for the debt The indictment charged Sometimes the indictment charged Meyer identified himself as Kent Wong When he called Victim A demanding money So he would Meyer would say that Kent Wong was terrorizing him but then would also call victim A and change his voice and say, this is Kent Wong. I wonder if he used like a fake Asian accent. Uh, hello, victim A. This is a Kent Wong. Uh, I am going to kill uh, Adam Maya if you do not pay him. And I'm going to kill you too. And then like the phone rings again. Oh, man, man, this, this is Adam. You better do what Kent says, man. He's going to kill me. Ring. Uh, this is a Kent Wong again. Uh, yeah, I just call Adam Maya. I tell him I'm going to kill him. And... Uh, you need to do uh, exactly as I say, or both of you die. It's got to be something like that. <laughs> so I, I really wonder if he changed his voice, like with that fake, like a really bad fake accent. Uh, so victim A responded by sending millions of dollars to various bank accounts. The indictment said, noting that Meyer, in turn, in turn, used the funds for his own purposes. So really shady. Uh, basically, what happened was uh, I don't know how these sports bets were doing. But uh, Meyer was telling this guy in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, who was already paying a ton of money to Meyer for his picks, that he separately bet on a lot of games with Kent Wong and that Kent Wong, that he did really badly and now owes millions of dollars to Kent Wong because he lost so much money to him. And he's like, oh, crap. Now, Kent Wong thinks that you and I are partners. And even though it's my money I lost, he thinks you're responsible, too. He thinks that. 
we're tied at the hip. So any money I lose, Kent Wong thinks that you've lost too. So since I can't pay him, you better or we're both going to get killed. That's basically what he said. But the thing is, there was no Kent Wong. He was Kent Wong. So victim A sent money to Kent Wong to save both of their lives. <laughs> and in reality, it was just Meyer who then just took the money and spent it himself. I'm like a huge scumbag here. Uh, finally, victim A uh, figured out he was being ripped off here. So victim A, when he balked at sending more money, Meyer and an associate flew to Fond du Lac from Florida to meet with victim A in April 2012. During the meeting, Meyer's associate brandished a firearm and demanded victim A send Meyer more money to pay off a purported gambling debt. In response to that threat, victim A agreed to provide $9.8 million to Meyer. So he sent even $9.8 million more at that point. Uh, after being held at gunpoint by uh, Meyer's associate. Meyer was arrested at his Fort Lauderdale area home on Tuesday after complaining of chest pains. Reminds me of Ray Batar with the, the, the heart problems the second you were arrested. Uh, he was taken to a hospital and then released to the custody of federal agents. He's being held by federal authorities in Florida and is expected to appear at a hearing on Friday. Bieber, I wonder if he hired Justin Bieber, uh, Meyer's attorney, said prosecutors will ask that Meyer remain in custody until the trial, although he thinks a personal recognizance bond is appropriate. Bieber said he expected the court to require that to be released. Meyer is posted monetary bond. I wouldn't let him leave. I mean, who knows what kind of money he has socked away somewhere after all these millions he scammed and extorted. I mean, he could have money somewhere and you know leave the country. And, you know, I don't care how big of a bond he posts. Big mistake. This is really, really, really bad, though. It's one thing to sell bogus picks, but, uh, and by the way, people are complaining the chat room is slow, so slow tonight. Uh, Muck Ficon is listening for the first time in a while. He expected a good chat and <laughs> nobody's talking. I don't know why it's so slow in the chat room tonight. Let's look at the ratings of the show. Let's see if the ratings are down tonight. I have a feeling the ratings are down too. Let's see. Eh, the ratings are down somewhat too. Eh, it's just not a good night. It might be that people are away for the holidays. We're only nine days away from Christmas, and you know, a lot of people are either off school and work or will will be soon. Could just be uh, out shopping tonight, last minute Christmas shopping. I don't know what the hell's going on, but uh, anyway, uh, really scummy. This Meyer character. Uh, obviously using these sports betting touts is never a good idea. Almost all these guys are shady. And I want to show you how somebody could appear to be a sports betting genius and and really not be one. Now, in sports, if you could bet at a 60% clip, if you can win at a 60% clip on your bets, you're you're great. Uh, You need a 52.38% win rate to beat the typical spread that you're betting on. The reason for that is uh, if you bet on a spread, if you just flip coins, you're going to win approximately half the time. The spread is designed to where half the people win, half the people lose. The way the books make money is that they take 10% off the top of the winnings from each side, or from the winning side. So so basically, um, let's say there's two sides of the same game. Uh, person A bets $110 on the first team, Person B bets $100 on the second team. Or sorry, they they both bet 110 Person A bets 110 Person B bets 110 on opposite sides uh, at the same sports book. 
Uh, one side's going to win, one side's going to lose, but the winner only gets 100 and the loser loses 110 So the book makes $10 guaranteed that way. And that's how it works. So to beat that juice, to beat that 10% juice, you have to win uh, 52.38% of your picks, which is a lot harder to do than you think. You say, oh, 52%, that's easy, but it's not. So 60% is considered spectacular. If anybody claims they win 70%, 80%, they're completely lying. Nobody can do that. You can do that in the short term. You can win 7 out of 10. You're not going to do that in the long term or even the medium term. Uh, how have I done so far in the NBA, by the way? Uh, with a 2-I-1 today, I am now 32-24, uh, and 24, which is pretty good, obviously. Uh, I'll probably be 32-25 and 25 after the last one loses tonight. But uh, I don't, even at that pace, I, I don't think I could maintain it. Uh, 32 and 25 is uh, 56.14%. If I, I can maintain 56.14%, that's great, but I probably can't. Very hard to do. But he claims he was getting 60%. But let me tell you how you can be tricked. So let's say there's a tout out there who says, I'm going to give my picks for free for the upcoming NBA season and posts a bunch of picks for free. You can see them all. And you follow him. You don't bet anything with him. And amazingly, the guy comes out with a, uh, a 65% win rate. And they go, wow, this guy's an NBA genius. So next year, you start betting with the guy. Or maybe even in the middle of this year, you start betting with him. Because he's winning so much. I mean, you're seeing his picks are posted. You're seeing that uh, he's posting fair lines that are really being given in Vegas. And he's beating them by 65%. 65%. Why can't you trust him? Because you don't know how many other names this guy is posting under. This guy could have 20 different sites where he's making a bunch of different picks that he's selecting randomly. And if you have 20 different sites like that, uh, you know one of them is going to luck out and have an unusually good record. So you don't know if the picks you're seeing from this guy are his only picks or if he has many other sites with different picks and then the ones where he's losing, he just abandons those sites and the ones where he's lucking into winning, he's claiming, oh, that's really me. And he pretends like he is not the other sites. So regardless of what this guy's name really is, maybe uh, you know there'll be a site run by John Smith, a site run by Mike Jones, a site run by... Uh, you know, Fred Johnson, and, and all these are the same guy. And then he only keeps the ones that actually win, and the the personalities of his that lose, he throws away. So he always has a site of winning picks, but he only has that by making different picks on every site. That's an easy way to make it look like you have a legitimate tout who indeed is just running a whole bunch of different picks out there and seeing uh, you know which of them stick. Uh, the bottom line is anybody who is picking at a very high success rate, is either enjoying short-term variance or uh, they are doing what I was describing. If they were really winning consistently at that rate, they would not be telling everyone. Because what happens is the books adjust. The books adjust. Every time that people put a lot of money on one side, the line moves. If there is a persistent way the books are being beat... They will catch on to it and, and plug that hole. So the worst thing you can do if you have a system that's killing it is to let everyone know what you're doing. So 
these touts are all pretty much a fraud. The reason they're selling their picks is the classic, those that can't do teach. But it's even worse. A lot of them are not even representing themselves honestly. And as you see, uh, this, quote, tout to the stars turned out uh, to be an extortionist and, and a scumbag to the highest order. I wonder who this Fond du Lac guy was that got taken for that much money. Like, like how did he make this much money? How did he make this? How did he make the twenty-five million or whatever he he made that he sent to Adam Meyer? Like I sometimes wonder, how does someone make that much money? How do they have the smarts and savvy to make that much money and then lose it this stupidly? Like this is even worse than just going to a casino and having a gambling problem. This is like falling for a scammer. Benford just asked the same thing in chat. How can victim A have $25 million and not be sophisticated enough to understand what I just said? <laughs> it's really weird. Unless he inherited it. Like, uh, that guy, this wasn't about sports betting scamming, but uh, the guy who lost all that money to Caesars, uh, what was his name? The one who was uh, given the chairman ranking there. The, the huge whale there. Uh, Terry Watanabe was his name. He lost over $100 million to Caesars with his gambling problem. And apparently Terry Watanabe was so awful at gambling like that uh, it wasn't just that he had a gambling problem. He was like really awful at the games he played. Like skill-wise, just terrible. Like at blackjack and whatever else he played, he was like so bad skill-wise. And yet betting huge money. Uh, you say, how can a guy like Terry Watanabe have made hundreds of millions of dollars to lose. Well, he didn't. His father made it, and he inherited it from the Oriental Trading Company that his father founded. So basically, he shot off all his dad's money. So maybe this guy in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, the same thing. Or maybe it's just one of those people who's really good in some areas of life and really terrible in other areas of life. That, that happens too. It's also possible that this guy just kind of deluded himself, that he got sucked into the Adam Meyer celebrity tout story and then just convinced himself to believe everything that was being said and, and, and then feared for his life when this Kent Wong character was threatening him. S-Double, looks like I opened his eyes. He's saying, uh, wait a minute, you're telling me that Steve Stevens and Brandon Lang are lying to me and really aren't that good? <laughs> they actually made a movie, by the way, about Brandon Lang, who was a another tout called Two for the Money. And I felt that the first half of that movie was good and, and the second half was terrible. That seems to be the theme in gambling movies, that the first half is good and the second half is terrible. Uh, the movie 21 was like that, too. I, I liked the first half of 21. I thought the second half was awful. It's weird when you have a movie that's like two movies. One good movie, one terrible movie. Lou Father suggesting that maybe this uh, victim A in Fond du Lac made the money through uh, selling fraudulent coupons. (laughs) That's a, a reference to something going on in the forum. All right, so... uh I have a feeling he's going to go away for a while. Looks like they got uh, they got the goods on him. 
And even when the attorney says that it's not completely accurate, that's already a bad sign. That's like the attorney knowing that he's been caught red-handed and there's not much to say. Now, Cigar Aficionado really did do a highly complimentary article of uh, Adam Meyer in 2011. And it was an article just talking about how, how great Meyer was, how much money he's won, and you know, pretty much repeating everything he says on his website. This is the most amazing part of the article. This shows you how dumb articles are about the gambling world, how clueless people are who write these things. From the Cigar Aficionado article, Mike Colbert, who oversees sports betting for Cantor Gaming in Las Vegas, describes Meyer as, quote, the real deal and limits his NBA action to 100000 per game. If he could bet more there, Meyer would. And if Meyer were not such a dangerous player, Colbert would allow it. (laughs) Let me get this straight here. So Meyer is such a dangerous sports better and such a big winner that Cantor Gaming will only let him bet 100,000. Only 100,000 for you, Mr. Meyer. You beat us all the time. And for that reason, you're only going to take... 100,000 from us per game. No more. No more for you, Mr. Meyer. I know you want to bet a million per game, but you're only getting 100,000 per game. That's not how it works. When a sports book detects that you're a pro and that you know what you're doing and you're beating them repeatedly, they cut you off. They don't lower you to 100,000. They lower you to zero. Sometimes they'll lower you to something really low, like 500 or something, but they're never going to lower you to 100,000 if they think that you are a dangerous player. They would never give a $100,000 bet to anyone that they think is a pro and is positive expectation against them. 100000 is still pretty serious money. So the fact that he's limited to 100000 allegedly shows that uh, he's a sports betting fish and that they just say that. I, I don't even know if what this guy says. Maybe this... Uh, character at the Cantor Gaming back in uh, 2011 is a friend of his or something, but uh, it's also possible that Adam Meyer really was a sports betting fish, and they just said these type of things to stroke his ego. So, like, the house limit was 100000 there, so uh, they said this to make him feel good. Alright, Adam, we're only giving you 100000 because you're so good. Not a penny more, Adam. Wouldn't surprise me if that were true. But believe me, I've known a number of professional sports bettors, and they've never been allowed to bet anything like 100000 once they were detected as being pros. Muck Ficon says, 21 was full of limp-wristed Canadians and guys clipping two-for-one pizza coupons. <laughs> Actually, the reason I didn't like the second half of 21 is that it uh, degenerated from what looked like a a realistic but entertaining card counting caper and showing how these guys beat the casinos and the methods they were doing. They, they changed from that to a ridiculous action film. They also abruptly changed the relationship between a ma- the main male and the main female character where I thought they had a good scene at the beginning where he, the, like the main male character tried to like awkwardly kiss her on the subway and she said no 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 I'm not into this you know like it, it was a very realistic looking scene like I could really see it going down that way and, and then just inexplicably in the middle of the movie she just turned and automatically was like super into the guy no explanation she says when, when like like I'm not into you this way to like 
I want to be all over you now just because the movie was further along. But that was just one of many problems. It was a, Even the ending was like incredibly stupid. It was that, a terrible second half. And the first half I, th- I thought was very interesting and very well done. Like they had to turn it into an action movie and a stupid action movie. And, and the truth is with action movies, an action movie is only good if it is an action movie. If, if it's a movie that is promoted as an action movie, if it has the special effects of an action movie, if it's meant to be an action movie. You don't turn a card-counting movie into an action movie. It, it comes off looking stupid. Like, I don't mind ridiculous scenes when I'm watching Independence Day. But I do mind ridiculous action scenes in a movie like 21. Jay Stat saying they said never split eights in 21. Did, did they say that? I, I would have noticed that. Maybe I missed it somehow. Maybe it was in the second half. Matos is suggesting I should watch Owning Mahoney. He said it was good throughout. I've never seen Owning Mahoney. I've heard of it, but I, I know little about it. But I'll I'll try. Now, uh, Muck Ficon, I'm, I'm happy he's here because he is from Wisconsin. And I was wondering what he would think of this whole thing. He says, I know guys who went to high school with Adam Meyer... He was a joke back then, still a joke now. So I guess you're saying that uh, Adam Meyer is from Wisconsin, which I didn't know. I th- I didn't know he was actually from there. I just thought he hooked up somehow with a guy in Wisconsin. Yeah, everyone loves owning Mahoney. I'm going to get owning Mahoney. I'm going to do it. Real Talk likes it. Benford likes it. Okay. But that's interesting. Maybe maybe uh, that's how he hooked up with this guy in uh, Fond du Lac because he grew up in Wisconsin. <laughs> but he was a joke back then. He's still a joke now. Anyone who has a very uh, gimmicky website with stupid statements like Adam Meyer had on his about page, you, you want nothing to do with them. You want nothing. Anyone who wants to work with you that has a, a website that's too slick and too overstated, you want to run far away from those people. Uh, this has nothing to do with gambling, but I had an ant problem in my house uh, like two years ago. So I thought, okay, I've got to get an exterminator because uh, the ants would not go away and they're getting worse and worse. So I was looking for exterminators and I found something very unfortunate, and that was pretty much every exterminator in my area uh, looked like a semi-scammer. That I could not hire an exterminator to come down and get rid of the ants and, and charge me a one-time fee. They all want to get you into these like six-month contracts where they come back every week and, and spray for you, which is useless. Especially ants, which are kind of a, a temporary seasonal problem. Uh, over here, I, I get ants in the summer, but after you know a month or two, they're gone. Some years worse than others. Some years there's no ant problem at all. But uh, it's like like in December, there's never any ants. There's no point to spray for ants in December. I never get them in December. Never get them in November. So I don't need a long contract when I get them in September or August. So uh, I could not find someone who would not come over and, and put me on a contract. Because I guess they decided it's only worth their while to to rope people onto these thousands of dollars of, of contracts and scare homeowners into believing that uh, that's the only way to get rid of ants and other bugs. 
And not only that, but the websites were super slick looking. Ones where you'd go there and you'd see like an image of the guy talking to you. Hi, my name is John Smith. I'm an exterminator. I make sure that your insects are not only gone now, that they don't come back. I have a five-point solution to ridding your house of ants and roaches. But, you know, like, like you'd see that on the website right when you'd come there, and the guy would be like standing there talking to you on the webpage. Like, you see something like that, you want nothing to do with it because it's too slick. It's too overproduced. It's too gimmicky. What I was looking for was like a, a, a website that almost looks like it's out of like 1995 uh, of a guy uh, saying, hi, I'm an exterminator. Here's my rates. You know, I'll, I'll come over and get rid of your bugs. See, real talk in the chat, he thinks I have website envy uh, because my website's not slick. But that's not about that. I'm telling you, like, the slicker the website, the, the shadier the, the service person. Danny Deadwood saying termite companies are bad. Yes, they're pretty bad, too. I've never had termites, but I've heard stories. So what did I do? I ended up solving the problem myself. I went to Home Depot. I bought some uh, of that border that you spray around your house for like 10 or $15 that you just spray it around and it uh, emits an odor that the ants don't want to cross it's called like a border and I, I just sprayed it around the house and eventually they disappeared like within a week they were gone so I, w- I was my own exterminator and that's what I do when the ants come back I do the same thing but uh, I, I was worried, like, if, if this didn't work, like, what I was going to do. I was not going to give these guys $3,000 for a six-month contract. So anyone with an over, overly gimmicky website or overly colorful language describing themselves, you want to stay away from them. Yeah, Jay Stats talking about the Roach Motel. Roaches always check in, they never check out. I, I remember those commercials. And now I've got to play it here because you had to bring this up. Let's see if I can find it. Here. 1981. The Roach Motel. <laughs> Disgusting roaches! Don't worry. We're sending them to a motel. To a motel? Wait a minute. The woman in this commercial is Pearl from Different Strokes. Remember the maid Pearl? She came after Mrs. Garrett and... Uh, uh, what was it, Adelaide or something? The, the, the old woman? This is the one, like the middle-aged woman who came after that? Right. The Black Flag Roach Motel. Black Flag Roach Motel traps. <gasps> Kill roaches without poison, unpleasant odor, or mess. Look, bait inside attracts roaches and water bugs. They get stuck and die. Traps full, throw it away. Black Flag Roach Motel. Roaches check in, but they don't check out. Kill roaches without poison, unpleasant odor, or mess. I would have bought this in 1981. They would have gotten my purchase. Too bad I was only nine years old then, but uh, I would have bought it, especially with Pearl from Different Strokes selling it to me. She actually wasn't on Different Strokes yet. This is what she did before Different Strokes. <laughs> All right. Uh, people are asking in chat, what happened to Judonk, a.k.a. Tide, who had the ill-fated uh, co-hosting of this show one time, right? The only co-host I've ever hung up on and thrown off the show. Uh, he's been gone for about a week. We have not heard from him, which is unusual for him, but he has done it a few other times, usually when he's moving from one location to another. So every other time he's moved, he's had trouble establishing internet right away and took about a week to come back to the forum. 
that happened when he went from Oregon to Rosarito Beach in uh, Mexico. That happened when he went from Rosarito to Ensenada, and it went from when he went from Ensenada to another place in Ensenada that you know occurred again. But as far as we know, he wasn't moving again. He had just signed a lease on a place that he was going to be at for a while. So we don't know. We don't know. Every time he disappears, people theorize that he's lying dead in a ditch somewhere in Mexico. And, and, and sadly, you know, in Mexico, this can happen. I mean, there's tons of murders down there. And, and to be honest, Judonk doesn't always make the best decisions. So I, I don't think Mexico is the best place for him. It just takes one wrong move on his part. It's like there's some guys on this site who live in Mexico and who I think can handle Mexico and understand what you do and don't do there and, and can keep their head down and not draw attention to themselves and survive there, but I, I just don't think it's the right place for Judonk. I just don't think it's the right place. I, I know he feels safe right now, but it just takes one time. It just takes one time pissing off the wrong people there. Uh, let's see what else I have here. Going to be a short show here. No, not that short. We've been at it for almost three hours. I keep forgetting we started on time. Oh, okay, let me talk about the uh, traveling to foreign countries. Not really a poker or gambling topic, but a topic that I think should interest most of you, since uh, I'm sure a lot of you either have traveled to other countries or will travel to other countries. And uh, the worst situation, imagine you board a flight and uh, you travel to another country and uh, then you get there after a long flight and with all your plans and many things you probably prepaid like hotels and they don't let you in. Immigration at this country says you can't come in. You got to go back to where you came from. Get back on a, site, on a flight home. That would be incredibly infuriating, especially if it's like a family vacation. But in any case, it would be infuriating and costly. Uh, even if you're not flying somewhere, if you're just driving, and if uh, you can easily turn around without that much expense or trouble, it still can be a problem. Let me give you an example. Uh, you're, you're crossing into Canada as part of a vacation or to go visit someone or whatever, and you, you've driven a few hundred miles to do it, and then they turn you around at the border saying you can't come in. Now, why would that happen? You might figure that they're not going to refuse you entry unless you're either some kind of major criminal or uh, you've committed a crime in their country or you're wanted for terrorism or you're caught bringing something in like drugs. But no, you can be refused entry for very harmless reasons, reasons that you would have never imagined could ever affect you. You could have done something stupid when you were 20 years old that's long past and that can still come to bite you today, even if you're 40 or 50 years old. Let me tell you about a story that a college friend of mine went through in October. And I just met with him recently. That's why I'm telling you about it now. It's a guy I you know, I haven't seen in a long time. I knew him in college and uh, we talk every so often, but he happened to be in my area recently and I met up with him. And he told me about a very bad story that happened to him at the Canadian border in British Columbia, between British Columbia and Washington. This guy lives in Yakima, Washington. 
Uh, he got a divorce last year, and uh, I guess he met a, a woman through online dating who lived in a town in British Columbia that's uh, not in, not near Vancouver. It's like east of Vancouver, so you enter a different way. You don't go up I-5 like you do like through Seattle. So he's actually going northeast from Yakima and entering through a little-used border station in that area. Uh, so he figured, how's this going to be a problem? I've entered Canada many times before through Vancouver, never had a problem. So this would never be, a, it wasn't even on his mind it could possibly be a problem. So he drives the almost 300 miles to get there to go meet this girl. And uh, they stop him at the border station. They take his passport. They say, hang on. They run his passport. And they say, get out of the car, come with us. He's like, what the hell? What did I do wrong? They bring him in there. They ask him all these questions. Have you ever been arrested before? He's about to just quickly say no. And then he thinks, wait a minute. I was arrested before. He's back in 91. This guy was arrested for stealing cable. Now, he wasn't selling the cable he was stealing, but he had a way to steal cable. And he only did it for himself. So he'd get free cable service, free HBO, free pay-per-view. He was watching everything. He was bragging about it all the time. But uh, anyway, his, uh, he thinks his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, t- turned him in because shortly after they broke up, he got busted for it. Anyway, uh, he pled guilty, and, uh, and they gave him uh, no prison time. He got probation and, and some community service, and uh, he thought it was over. And since then, in the last 23 years, he has never been arrested, let alone charged, of any, for anything. So this is a misdemeanor, stealing cable uh, for himself. Never spent a day in prison. Uh, got on probation, successfully completed that. Everything should have been fine. In fact, it hadn't even affected him anything in life. Uh, they said, uh, so he was sure they were probably asking about this. So he admitted it, said, yeah, I, I was arrested in 91 and explained the cable and say, hey, I was a broke college student. I, I wanted to watch cable and I was stupid and I did this. So... I, you know, I got caught. I, I, I paid the fine. I, I did the probation. I never did it again, and uh, I've never been arrested again. And I, I've been a good citizen. But they weren't impressed by this. They were asking him a bunch of specific questions. Why did you do it? Uh, you know, uh, very specific questions about the crime. Then they asked him, "Have you been arrested again?" He said, "No." They said, "Oh yeah. Well, are you sure? Have you been have you been given any traffic tickets?" He said, yeah. They said, well, how come you didn't tell us that? He's like, well, wait a minute. I, you asked arrested. A, a traffic ticket's not arrested. Yeah, I've had traffic tickets, but nothing major. So they, they seemed very suspicious of him. They they held him for some more time. They they were looking into more, and they, they were typing stuff on a computer, looking stuff up. Eventually, they came back to him and said, hey, uh, here's the story. Canada has a policy against allowing criminals to enter our country. You were actually banned from Canada from the time you were convicted in 91 all the way up to 10 years after your probation was complete. So his probation was complete two years later in 93. He was banned for 10 years after that. So from 91 to 03, he actually wasn't allowed to enter Canada. He just didn't know it because when he was entering in Vancouver, which is a much busier border crossing, they didn't bother to run every passport. There's no way they could do that because there would be a gigantic line stretching for miles. So they don't typically do it there unless you look really suspicious. But at this place where they're bored and have nothing to do with nobody crossing there, they they had the time to do this. 
So they said you were actually banned for 12 years. Now, since then, you haven't been banned, so we're going to let you through. Uh, but uh, just to let you know, your crime was just below the threshold of where you would have been banned for life. And if it's been even a little bit more serious, you would have had a lifetime ban from entering Canada. So if that had been the case, they would have sent him back home and then put him in the system to like you know never be let in. So his ending was happy in that he was able to pass through. But um, he said, well, what if this happens again when I'm crossing another border or or the same one here with different people working? They said, well, you're going to have to go through this again and uh, uh, answer the same questions unless you'd like to get uh, a letter from uh, the jurisdiction that where where you were convicted that that everything's been completed and they, they needed him to get something that would be very difficult to get. So he didn't go into the whole thing with me anyway. Uh, I posted about this on Poker Fraud Alert. Just I, I thought it was interesting. And sure enough, people on the site chimed in with their own stories. Someone on our site was uh, pulled off a cruise ship that pulled into Canada and told that uh, he's not allowed to set, set foot off the ship because he'd been convicted of, uh, for something uh, a long time beforehand. Uh, other people were shaken down for $500 for a, quote, rehabilitation form that they had to fill out. After enough time had passed. I guess if your crime was more serious than my friend's crime, they don't totally ban you for life, but they'll let you, after a certain amount of time, fill out a rehabilitation form that they have to approve with a $500 processing fee. So it's, a lot of this is about money, too. Anyway, uh, the moral of the story here is you have to be careful. If you have anything on your record, I don't mean a traffic ticket. I mean anything that's a misdemeanor or greater, especially a felony, but even a misdemeanor. You need to look at the rules of where you're going. And you can probably find this on the internet or call the State Department. You can even ask them anonymously if you don't want to draw attention to yourself. But, but call whoever is uh, in charge of the various uh, government agencies that, uh, you know, call the offices in charge of these agencies for, for immigration and find out what their policies are on immigration for you know, travel regarding people with criminal records. Because apparently some countries are even more hard-ass about this, and if you have any criminal conviction at all, then uh, they won't let you in. And that could be a disaster if you like fly across the Atlantic to find this out. So you should become educated on this before you travel anywhere. You should not count on the fact that you traveled in the past without problem, because they have a lot more visibility now. Since 9-11... A lot of countries, especially Western countries, are now sharing information with one another about criminal convictions where they weren't before. So even if your your passport was run back in uh, 2000 and everything was fine and your crime was in 93, don't think that makes you safe. It makes you safe because it's very possible the country that was running your passport back then couldn't see it. And now they can. A lot of cooperation between these countries now regarding sharing your criminal record. So wherever you're going, make sure you are eligible to enter there. And if you're not, find out what you can do to make sure you are eligible. And if you're not, then don't go there until you are eligible. Don't let yourself be surprised like this. That's what's like the worst. Imagine like flying to the UK, which I hear is pretty tough too, on letting criminals in. And, and you know, you were convicted of something 20 years ago. One, one thing they're very big on is DUIs, by the way. A lot of these countries are very big on DUIs. So if you have a DUI in your past, even a long time ago, 
they may de- deny you entry. Like in Canada, a DUI is an automatic felony. So they consider it a felony conviction even if in the, in the United States it's a misdemeanor where you were busted for the DUI. So be careful. Be careful or you may be sent back. And there's no arguing with them. There's not like you can talk them into it. Once they've made their decision, they've made their decision. Muck Feigon saying, I have unpaid parking tickets, can't go to the Canada or UK. Uh, I don't know about that. No, maybe he's right. I don't know. Um, unpaid parking tickets are usually against the vehicle. And not really the driver, because they don't... I mean, yeah, they can go after the registered owner, but uh, moving violations are against the driver. Parking tickets are against the vehicle. To really, they won't let you re-register the vehicle if you have unpaid parking tickets, but uh, they usually won't go after the owner for unpaid parking tickets. But some jurisdictions will. I'm just saying in general. This is McFiacon saying, I'm joking, Todd. I also have AIDS. That's too bad. No, I, I actually was considering if the parking tickets might be true, because in, in some jurisdictions, they do try to go after people for unpaid parking tickets. Uh, not actively, but like if, if you happen to have contact with a police officer and he runs your uh, information and sees that uh, you had a car registered to you with unpaid parking tickets, they actually can arrest you. So I was kind of like trying to think, I wonder if there is a database of people with unpaid parking tickets that are wanted for that and then uh, somehow making it over to Canada. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. Forum Wars saying in chat, if you fly from Canada to the U.S., you go through U.S. customs in the Canadian city before you fly out of before you board the plane. Are you sure that's in all cities? Like, I know in Toronto they do that. In other major cities they do that. But uh, do they do that in smaller cities where U.S. customs may not have a presence? I think it's possible a lot of them, that's not true. I had to do that in Toronto when I flew from Toronto to L.A. in May. I went through U.S. Customs in Toronto. And I did that in uh, Aruba, too. S. Double asking me, what happens if you try to go there and they deny you and then you go back to the border an hour later at a different gate? Can they arrest you or just deny you again? No, they can only deny you again unless they tell you you're not allowed here, don't come back. Uh, if they just uh, say, oh, we can't let you in, I, I don't think they're, they're going to arrest you for trying again. I'm not sure about that, but I, I don't think they'll arrest you. Uh, but but if you're going to go to a different gate, I would go to one that's very highly used. The, the highly trafficked border crossings are going to scrutinize you much less than the low traffic ones. The low traffic ones are going to look at everything because they're bored. And they have time to do it. So. All righty. Let's get to the editorial here. Let's see if my sports bet is going to have any chance to win. Sometimes the over-unders are funny because they can be just like looking terrible and then actually win. 
and I've had some that look like they're going to just easily win, and then they lose. Like, over-unders are different than side games, side meaning uh, spread games. In a spread game, if the team you're betting on is is winning uh, by 25 points in the fourth, it's very unlikely if you've got a minus five line that it's going to lose. But the over-unders, you really can have it where both teams just suddenly can't make a basket. Or you can have the reverse where just there's this rapid-fire scoring and 3-3-3-3-3-3-3, like both sides are making three-pointers rapidly against each other, and the score just runs up amazingly. Or the most annoying thing that happened to me last week is you you have an under that's easily going to win, and then it goes into overtime, and then you lose. I, I hate the losing the under bets to overtime. Anyway, this actually doesn't look that bad anymore. It's got uh, five minutes left and only 176 points scored, and I have uh, under uh, 206. It's looking pretty good, actually. Unless it goes OT. Uh, that, that could actually happen tonight. It goes overtime. Uh, it's only a four-point game right now. It goes overtime. It's going to screw me for sure. All right, maybe I'll go 3-0. and Maybe the show's good luck. All right, here's the editorial. This editorial is not about poker, not about gambling, not about crossing borders. It's about a cheap Jew who doesn't let anyone or anything screw him. A Jew who, if he finds the slightest error on his bill, makes sure it is corrected and makes sure that no one gets over on him for even a dollar. People were calling this particular Jew Druff's twin. Because, well, we do have a lot in common. I am Jewish. This guy is Jewish. His name is Ben Ailman. I don't like being screwed by any business, and I will fight very hard to get a mistake corrected, even if it's a few dollars, and so will Ben Edelman. I will also get very angry if I am being ripped off in any way and will fight very hard and will try to enact some kind of consequence on anyone who tries to rip me off in any way, just like Ben Edelman will. So I can relate to Ben Edelman for what he's been doing. And in fact, Ben Edelman specializes in something that I also specialize in, and that is calling out companies that are engaging in wrongdoing, like large companies on the internet that are cheating people. And he's actually a lawyer. He's a lawyer who works at, uh, at Harvard. He's a law school professor there. And uh, so uh, Edelman on the side works to uh, bring consequences to internet companies that are not following the law. And that's good. And that's very noble what he's doing. Unfortunately for uh, Mr. Edelman, uh, he let it uh, overwhelm him and he kind of started to lose sight of what was reasonable. Sometimes there's a difference between what is technically in the law books and what is reasonable to expect regarding following these laws. And, uh, you know, there's something that could be an honest mistake that's technically a violation of the law, but you shouldn't hold the violator's feet to the coal over it if it was in, if it was accidental and they're willing to correct it. You don't you don't be a hard ass and, and screw with businesses that are accidentally violating the law provided that they make the necessary corrections when you bring it to their attention. But Edelman unfortunately uh, didn't feel that way. So 
let me tell you his story here. Uh, some of you have probably read this already. Uh, Edelman went to a Boston-area Chinese food place called the Sichuan Gardens. And a man named uh, Ran Duan, not related to Tom Duan, by the way, Ran Duan manages the location. I guess I guess he's the owner now. I guess his parents started the restaurant. Now he's the now he's running it. As typical, what happens with these uh, Chinese restaurants that get a family affair. Uh, Edelman ordered fifty three dollars and thirty five cents of Chinese food from them. And found that he was charged fifty seven thirty five, so a difference of four dollars. When he brought this to Randwan's attention, Randwan told him, "Well, sorry, uh, you were looking at an old menu on our website that we honestly haven't been very good at updating because we're a small company and you know a small business, and we don't have." the money to pay someone to constantly update the website every time we change our prices. So sorry, we had the old prices up there. Now, let me stop right here and tell you that that's not a good excuse. A restaurant is supposed to, is required to, and morally should honor any prices that they have published. And if they have a website and they have prices published on that website, then they need to honor it. At least for each customer until they inform them otherwise. So if you find a website of a company with inaccurate prices and then you order from them and then they charge you something different, you have a right to have it rolled back to the prices on the website. However, you can't come back a second time and have them do it again because now you're aware of it. But if you're not aware of it beforehand and you have no reason to be aware of it, then they should and they have to, by law, honor those prices. And I fully agree with that. And on that, on that point, I am on Edelman's side. He was correct to say, I want that $4 back. I don't want to pay that $4 because I ordered based upon prices on your website and then I didn't know the difference. There's no way for me to know that you raised your prices. But Randwan, the manager slash owner of the Sichuan Garden, did not say no. He agreed right away that next time when Ben Edelman comes in, he'll have $4 off of his meal. So that should have solved it. It should have been over right there. Admittedly, the first response from Randwan was stupid, saying that the prices have been have gone up. But uh, uh, he said, "I'll honor the website price." In an email on December fifth, two thousand fourteen. This obviously was pretty recent. The problem was that uh, Ben Edelman decided that he's going to be a dick about it. And obviously this is an honest mistake. They weren't pulling a bait and switch on their website. It's obviously just a, you know, just a Chinese restaurant, doesn't update their website very much. You can easily see how this happens without them intentionally doing it. They're going to honor it this one time. That's the right thing to do. And, uh, and that should have been that. And if it had been me, that's what, I would have been very happy with that. I would have said, okay, thank you. I'll take my $4 credit for next time. And and by the way, Edelman liked the food there, so he was going to come back. It wasn't like the the food sucked. Like he was happy to come back a second time for the food. So a four dollar credit for next time totally would have solved it, and that would have been that. And if it was me, if they said that, I would have said cool, goodbye. Unfortunately, the law there in Massachusetts technically allows for 
giving the customer back three times whatever the difference is. So the law in Massachusetts says if there is this type of error, that the business owes the customer back $12 instead of 4 Now that's a dick move if it's an honest mistake. If, you're, if they're knowingly cheating you, then I, I, I say, hey, go ahead and make them pay. But if this was an honest mistake, which I think Edelman knew it was, you don't go punish them with an $8 fine over the whole thing. You, you just let them make it right and then be done with it. It's not even like he's doing this to a large corporation where you say, okay, they should have people you know, overseeing this, and for them not doing it, I think they should have to pay me extra for my trouble. Fine, but, but not, not a little mom-and-pop place that just doesn't update their website enough. You don't punish them with a fine, even if the law allows it. That's a dick thing to do. And as soon as I read that, I go, wow, this guy's an asshole. In fact, I hated how people were comparing me to him because I would never do something like that. I would never tell a mom-and-pop place they have to pay me a fine because they didn't update their website enough. All I would have said is just honor the price you had up there, and now I understand for the future that price is wrong. So at that point, I was kind of on the same side as everybody else who was bashing this Edelman guy, that he's a dick. And, and boy, was there a lot of backlash against him. This, this went viral on the Internet, and Edelman on his blog actually wrote a short apology about the whole thing. However, there's a second story that's come out since about something that actually occurred, occurred beforehand. Uh, let me get to this here. It turns out he's done it before. Why is my site so slow? I'm trying to scroll through this thread and the site is sluggish. I guess I only have myself to blame. It's my site. Uh, so this was his statement... After uh, the whole thing went viral, he said, Many people have seen my emails with Ran Duan of Sichuan Garden in Brookline. Having re- reflected on my interaction with Ran, including what I said and how I said it, it's clear that I was very much out of line. I aspire to act with great respect and humility in dealing with others, no matter what the situation. Clearly, I failed to do so. I am sorry, and I intend to do better in the future. I have reached out to Ran and will apologize to him personally as well. So you know he's just writing this because uh, he is humiliated on the Internet and, uh, and also maybe doesn't want... Uh, further professional consequences at Harvard. But, uh, but still, at least he apologized, even if it's not a very sincere one. Uh, but there was uh, a lot made of the fact that it turned out that uh, someone else came forward, another business owner, another restaurant owner, came forward with the information that Edelman had done this before. In 2010, uh, had an interaction with a sushi place about a Groupon that Edelman had purchased and was threatening to get the guy's license revoked and, and a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, and so a lot of people really got angry over this, saying, what a dick. So four years ago, Edelman did the same thing, except uh, you know, he even went further and was threatening to have this guy's uh, license to operate as a business taken away. Now... I went and read that and it expected some really, really horrendous story that would make me hate Edelman even more. But when I read it, I said, wait a minute. Aside from threatening the license thing, I would have done the same thing. Basically what happened was Edelman bought three Groupons for this uh, sushi place that was in the lobby of the the Westin. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know how Groupons work, but basically most Groupons, you're getting... Uh, a certain amount of credit to use at the place 
for a lower amount of money. So like you could buy 40 for 20 where you, you send $20 to Groupon and then they give you a certificate good for $40 of food at the place. And if there's any restrictions, they're clearly stated before you buy it so you understand you know, if you are buying something with the restrictions, what they are. It's very clearly stated what all the restrictions are. And if there's nothing stated, then there's no restrictions. Well, basically, uh, there were no restrictions except for not valid with any other offer, meaning you can't bring this in and use a coupon, which is reasonable. So Edelman went to go use this in 2010, and I uh, tried to use it for the pre-fig menu, uh, which is a price-fixed menu, a fixed-price menu where you're, you know, uh, you're buying, you pay one price for like several courses. And they claimed that was an offer. They claimed their pre-fee menu was an offer, even though it's available every single day on the regular menu. And there was nothing in the language on Groupon saying that you can't use it for the pre-fee menu. So Edelman was mad. He said, wait a minute, I bought this Groupon thinking I could use it for anything here. All I can't do is use any kind of for any kind of special offer. And I'm doing that here and you're not letting me. So the owner was very obnoxious, and the owner told him no, and in fact accused Edelman of trying to hurt a small business by making them operate at a loss by accepting the Groupon for the pre-fee menu. Uh, but but he was right; it's not an offer. A pre-fee menu is not an offer. That's just a, a you know a part of the menu. It's it's open every single day. It's it's uh, it's not an offer. He's right. And not only that, Edelman noticed that they excluded the pre-fee menu on Restaurant.com. They just forgot to do it on Groupon. So they even knew about this. They just forgot to enter that language on Groupon. So they have to honor it. They should have honored it for his three Groupons and telling him, okay, if you buy any further Groupons, we won't honor it. But for these three, we'll do it for the pre-fee menu. That should have been the solution. But they refused. And you know what? Edelman was right here. 100% right here. Now, he was a dick in the way he approached it by immediately threatening the guy's license. And, and trying to scare him that he's a lawyer and could do something about it. That that was a crappy way to approach it. He approached it in a crappy way again, but he was right with that. And when I read stories like this, I get mixed feelings because I don't like the people that – I don't like lawyers that bully people, that, that threaten licenses, uh, you know, revoking licenses of uh, over technicalities. It's like every bad stereotype of a lawyer. I don't like people that just uh, – try to push around small businesses for their own gain or because they don't get everything exactly the way they want it. But I also think that businesses have to behave in an ethical and logical and uh, reasonable manner. If you put out a Groupon and forget to put an exclusion that you meant to put, you've got to honor it. If you make a mistake on your website for the price or you forget to update it, you have to honor it on that one-time basis. I once had a situation, which isn't too different from all this, this barbecue place that I had been going to a lot. They, they had a constant $10 coupon available on the web that you could always print. And, and I always used it. And they were fine with that. They always had it available. They knew it was a constantly available coupon. Well, around the holidays, they had this special where if you buy a gift card there for $50, then you get a $10 bonus gift card. And the only restriction on that gift card was that you have to use it uh, between like January 1st and March 31st. Other than that, it was just like a regular gift card. It's called a promotional gift card. So I go in 
I present them with a promotional gift card and my $10 coupon, and they don't like it. They said you can't use them together. I say, why? They show me the language on the coupon saying not valid with any other offer. I said, this isn't an offer. It's a promotional gift card. It's a gift card that is equivalent to a regular gift card. I said, would you take my regular gift card? They said, yes. I said, okay, then how come you won't take this one when the only difference is that uh, the promotional one has an expiration date and the regular one doesn't? And they said, well, but you know, this is technically a coupon. I said, that's not. It's a promotional gift card. It's not. And in fact, I bought this regular gift card because I thought I'm getting a promotional gift card worth something. If I'm getting a promotional gift card that's worth the same as the coupon I can print off the internet for free, then there's no point for me to have bought this. You've sold me something worthless then. So you know, after I got to speak to the, the manager, they, they finally backed down and agreed that, uh, that I was right and, uh, and let me do it. But uh, they wanted to deny me at first. And, and the reason I made a big deal about this is because what they did was wrong. Uh, and then, by the way, after this, they actually changed the language on the promotional gift card, saying they can't be combined with coupons. And that's fine. Once they put that, then they're in the right. But they sold it to me with my belief that it's a regular gift card, and it's not. So when a business forgets to tell the customer something like that or doesn't put the terms down, they, they have to honor it. And if, if you know, some people may say out there, hey, why be a hard-ass about things like this? Uh, the problem is if you don't, if you're not a hard-ass about things like this, it leads to bait and switch. It leads to things where you're misled into buying something that actually has no or very little value. So for that reason, they always have to honor the terms. Now, you shouldn't ever be a dick about it and try to make them pay fines or anything like that. But, um, and you shouldn't approach it like an asshole threatening their license. But nothing wrong with asking for what you believed you were buying. I've always said, when it comes to whether you should fight something from a customer service or business transaction standpoint, if you determine that you are being delivered something at a different price than you thought you were agreeing to or getting different merchandise than you thought you were getting, and upon looking at it again, you see it wasn't your mistake. If you were legitimately misled, even if not intentionally, then you're in the right and you need to fight for it. If you ever don't get what you think you're paying for, you should fight for it. Never let them convince you you're wrong. Never let them convince you that uh, uh, because they made an inadvertent mistake, you should pay for it. They should pay for it. If they make the mistake, they should pay for it. If they fail to disclose a term or a restriction, then that term or restriction should not apply. That's part of the business world. So Edelman's actually right in theory in these things. He just approaches it very poorly and, and kind of acts like a lawyer bully, which I don't like. You don't say, hey, I'm a big Harvard lawyer. I'm going to get your license taken away. Hey, I'm going to make you pay fines because you made an honest, honest mistake. That's a dick thing to do. But it's not a dick thing to stand up for your rights as a consumer or to make a business honor what they should honor. It should never cost you anything when they make a mistake. I'll tell you another quick story. Uh, There was a a place I was going to, another small business, a place I was going to where uh, whenever they make a mistake with your food, they can't just give you a credit for next time. Uh, if you call in, you, d- you do a takeout order, you found something was wrong when you get home. Uh, 
they can't just give you a credit for next time. They have to actually send you a uh, certificate for its amount. So, like, let's say you you had a ten dollar item that was messed up. They will send you two five dollar certificates. They have to bring in next time. So the problem is, I, I had this happen, and then I bring in the ten dollar certificate, and they don't want to let me use a coupon. And I go, wait a minute. I shouldn't be excluded from using a coupon. All this is doing is replacing food that I couldn't use last time that I paid for. This shouldn't take away my ability to use the coupon. And I had to, like, argue. They, they were thought I was trying to pull a fast one on them. I'm like, no, I'm trying to make you understand here. Uh, you're giving me this not as a gift. You're giving this to replace food that I paid for and could not eat because you messed it up. So if, you shouldn't take away my ability to use a coupon this time for that reason. But it's very hard to get it across to them. They, they immediately jump to suspicion mode thinking you're trying to roll them in some way. So you should never, ever be out. If, you, if any kind of screw-up happens on the business's part, and if next time you end up paying up more money for it, don't. Don't ever pay more money because the business screwed up, ever. Don't ever accept, that's fine, I'll, I'll just pay more overall because it was their mistake. See, people in the chat room are making fun of me about quick story. But hey, look, it's the end of the show. You can turn it off. You know, it's, you know this is the end of the show. You know at the end of the show, if this stuff bores you, you can just say goodbye and turn me off. There's, there's nothing you're going to miss here because there's no more real segments here. The end of the show is just kind of like the free-form junk part of the show. But fine, you want it to be over? It'll be over. Goodbye. Okay, the truth is I didn't have much more to say. I was done. And uh, we'll be back next week, a week from today. Negative result on this game here. Did I win? I did win. I went 3-0 and today, guys. I went 3-0 I went and freaking 0 here. Even though when I thought I was going to lose, I, I won pretty easily, actually. Ha. Huh. I actually feel good because not just that I won it, but some people on uh, Poker Fraudler followed my picks today, and then I'm like, I was kind of doubting myself, saying, oh, maybe this isn't very good, and yeah, I'm afraid you're going to lose. I actually feel bad when people lose the picks that I post up here, even though my record is pretty good overall. Like, I, I feel crappy when I post something and people follow me and they lose money. Anyway, I, well, I'm doing pretty well here. I've uh, won four in a row. Up to 33 and 24. Hey, maybe I should become the new celebrity NBA handicapper to the stars now that there's an opening, now that uh, Adam Meyer is going to be going up the river. Maybe I need to go to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and find millionaires there to buy my picks. 33 and 24, guys. 33 and 24. Not only that, but I got off to a bad start, losing 11 of my first 20. So uh, since then, I'm actually uh, 24 and 13. But okay, I'm cherry picking here, but but still, uh, 33 and 24 is 57.89 percent. I'm almost up to 60 percent, guys. You better watch out. Watch. I'm going to jinx myself. Like next week, I'll like lost nine in a row. <laughs> All right, people. I'll uh, we'll see you next week. I hope I have a damn co-host. It's hard to do these things by myself, and my throat's hurting. But I'll be back either way. Thank you for listening, whether you're in the chat room live or listening in the archives. I'm always glad to have you here on Poker Front Alert Radio, the Drop and Friends show. We'll be back 
December 23rd, 6.30 p.m. or thereabouts, specific time. Remember, no show December 30th. Good night and shalom on Hanukkah.